Hey everybody, a couple quick things to note before I start the show here. Uh, sorry for the microphone quality in this intro. I didn't want to set up all my microphones. You know how it goes. All right, so two quick notes. Number one, this show contains some rough language. If you can't handle that, uh, I suggest you listen to a different show. However, I think this is an extremely important show for anybody living anywhere in the world dealing with anyone who is uh, recovering from or in the midst of uh, an addictive cycle. So with that, uh, I just wanted to add that note in there. And number two, you're going to hear some uh, cuts in the audio. Now, most of those are because um, my audio program decided to stop recording uh, at some point. So uh, and it was it was only small sections, and uh, from what I could tell, it wasn't big deals. So I just left it all in there as is. Um, I did end up cutting out one section where we mentioned the name of a former employer, uh, and I wanted to <laughs> uh, maintain as much privacy as possible. So uh, because of that, you're going to hear a little bit of cutting and you're going to uh, hear some rough language. So just those two notes, and we're going to get right into the show. All right, and welcome to the podcast, everybody. And welcome to the podcast, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Thanks, Ryan, for coming in. To Aethon, what up? Thank you for having me on. We're actually getting started now. <laughs> Thank you for coming in, Josh. Thank you for having me on. Uh, I was on TV once. <laughs> I was on TV <laughs> What? If you're answering what I think you are right now, I am disturbed beyond measure. For everybody listening, I did shoot at police officers. Uh, Sims, simunitions. It's like paintball. There's a saying that I'm not allowed to say in our house anymore. My wife doesn't want me to say it, um, but I'm not in my house now, dear, if you're listening. so. You're listening to the number one show in your ears right now. This is The Exchange with Adam Carney. And welcome back to the podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Adam, and this is The Exchange. Today on The Exchange, we have Wyatt Kelly. Hey, how's it going? My cousin. I've known him since he was born. Yep. Yep. Because it's family and that's the way we roll. (laughs) Um... So, yeah, not a whole lot more I can do there for an introduction. Um, so, why is coming on? We're going to talk about some really cool stuff. It's going to be it's going to be probably one of my heavier podcasts due to the nature of what it is. Um, but I think for everybody that's going to listen, it will be very helpful for them whether or not they know somebody in addiction or in recovery. This may help them hopefully understand what's going on. So with that, we're gonna we're gonna loosen up a little bit. I have some speed questions here. Let's I start it. out all the guests with speed questions. And the first question is, what's the best snack food? Definitely Pop Tarts. For sure, Pop-Tarts. Pop-Tarts? Yes. Is there a reason specifically Pop-Tarts? Or, I don't know, just my whole life, you know, I've been eating Pop-Tarts. Okay. Kind of just stick to <laughs> it. Just, just, just this, it's the standby. It's there at all times. Correct, correct. Okay. Is there a, okay, what about the best flavor? Is there a best flavor of Pop-Tart? Strawberry or? milkshake, hands down. Strawberry milkshake. Oh, goodness. I've already had two of those today. 
So we're starting off good. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We have strawberry milkshake, uh, pop tarts. All right. Uh, the best movie or TV show in your recent experience? Ozarks. I'm rewatching Ozarks right now, actually. But Is that I, Amazon? No, that's that's Netflix. Okay. And that's with Marty Bird, and he's in the the Ozarks, and he's a money launderer for the cartel. Oh, it nice. is gnarly. It is gnarly, dude. I'm rewatching it. It's like I watched it the first time all over again. It's really amazing, yeah. Huh? Yeah, it hooks you in. It's like one of those shows where you just sit down and keep watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I so I follow this guy on Instagram, um, and his Instagram is Ed Manifesto. It's Ed Calderon is his name. He okay. used to be a Mexican uh, cop, oh. and he did anti-cartel stuff. Oh, and so, anyway, some of the stuff he posts on Instagram from time to time is like, woo. Yeah, like, that's a scary life. Cartels are whack. Yeah. It's crazy the kind of stuff they get into. Yeah. But, um, anyway, Ozarks. Okay, cool. So, next question. The best way to eat steak. Like medium rare, 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 that kind of thing. Is that what you're going yeah, for? Yeah, sort of. I say, I say still mooing. I stay still mooing for sure. Still mooing? Okay. Yeah, it's got to like walk in still alive. Okay. That's the way to do it. So not like you're not like a well done and ketchup no. guy. No. Definitely a rare baby race for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I appreciate the, I appreciate the baby rays. Yeah, I gotta love the baby rays. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, do you put the baby rays on before you cook it or after? Both. Okay. So it's like a marinated. Yeah. Kind of steak. And also gotta dip it in there too. Extra yeah. barbecue sauce for sure. Extra barbecue sauce. Uh, do you put you put salt and pepper on it, right? Also. Yeah. I mean, I could really go either way, but okay. As long as there's barbecue sauce, I'm good. Okay. Yeah, because I always do just I always do just pepper and salt. Yeah, keep it simple. And then grill it hot. Yeah. Or you don't do low and slow. So no, uh, I'll do hot. So I'll sear it on both sides really good. Okay. And then I'll drop the temperature all the way down and cook it for probably like seven or eight more minutes. Yeah. Just so that I get that kind of like salty caramelization, hopefully, yeah. on the outside of the steak. Mm-hmm. That's what I go for. Do I always get it? You're a lot more committed to that whole cooking process than I am. I'm okay. simple. The searing part, that's not me. I no. can do the searing part. It takes too much time. <laughs> too many steps. <laughs> yes. Too much Too much touching of the steak. Um, okay, last question. Last uh, speed question. Soft or hard shell tacos? Mm. What is the appropriate method of eating tacos? Really, you could go either way on that one, you know? Like, I get the Doritos Locos Tacos from Taco Bell. Okay. Really good. But also, the brick Bacon Breakfast Crunch Wrap is soft shell. So It is. I also like that. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, you, there's no wrong answer. There's just no wrong answer. Okay. Okay. So, you're not, you're not going to pick a side no. in this conflict? No. <laughs> you're just going to stay neutral? Yeah. I feel like when they're both correct, you got to stay neutral. <laughs> okay um i will be honest most of the people come in here swinging with softer hard shell they're both good they're both just they're just straight up 
it's soft shell or it's hard shell. And I get it for sure. I just, I like both things equally. You know what I mean? I could, I could go either way on it. Por que no los dos? I don't know Spanish like that. Oh, why not both? No. Well, I mean, yeah, both's good. All right. Both. Um, okay, so that those are the speed questions. Everybody, hopefully your curiosity is peaked now that we have the speed questions out of the way. We understand he's a man of culture because steak is rare, and he watches Ozarks. So True. there you go. Um, so we wanted to get into the meat of this. Um, <clears throat> so the way I wanted to start out is kind of by quoting some statistics. Uh, and you were able to look over some of these statistics and like questions uh, before we got started, um, just kind of prep you for the kind of stuff that I was going to be asking. Um, so I think all of this is very important for people to hear. I will reiterate this. Um, I don't think I don't think too many people take the time to understand maybe what their relatives have gone through. Uh, because maybe they're afraid of offending them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they may, and I mean, I think a lot of people go through addiction and they don't ever question like what they're doing or maybe they don't question their uh, their friend or their relative about what's going on. Obviously, that was what that's what happened to me. And so I can only speak from my side of the experience, and we'll get yours as the podcast goes on. But I wanted to quote some statistics real quick. According to the American Addiction Centers, it's a .org. You can just type it in, AmericanAddictionCenters.org. In 2017, about 38% of adults battled an illicit drug use disorder or have battled. That's a large number. Right, that's a huge percentage of the American population. And I, I want to step in real quick and just mm-hmm. say that's probably not, like, that's probably not even close to like all of it. There's a lot of people that would say they don't have a problem that are like mm-hmm. not doing good right now, just because mm-hmm. they don't know or they like have decided that's what life is. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? So that number is just people who've admitted to it. You know what I mean? Okay, okay. So you're and what? So what you're saying is there's a hidden there's a hidden struggle that's going on that's affecting even more than 38% of the population. Right. And it's a, and it's a personal disease for a lot of people. Like maybe a lot of people don't know, Mm -hmm. you know, like, well, my coworker shows up to work every day and nobody would know that he's, you know, screwed up after work real bad. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Every day. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't know. It's just, it's a personal disease. Like it's internal. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Also in 2017, one out of every eight adults struggled with both alcohol and drug use disorders simultaneously. And this kind of goes to the point that, you know, you may only see one side of the addiction, right? They may only socially drink with you, but when they get home, they're hitting harder stuff, right? And so just because you don't think somebody has a problem doesn't mean that they're not, you know, really getting into harder stuff or a bigger issue um, when they get home or when they're away from everybody or even with just specific friends. Um, 
Drug abuse and addiction costs the American society more than $740 billion annually in lost workplace productivity, health care expenses, and crime-related costs. That's $740 billion, billion with a B, uh, annually that we lose, which, I mean, when you consider that the gross domestic product, so the GDP of the United States is somewhere around $24 trillion, um, that's about, you know, it's one obviously about 120th of the entire economy mm-hmm. is lost to um, a treatable disease that's definitely very human, mm-hmm. but uh, at the same time is unnecessary. So um, I just have a note here. Drug and alcohol abuse will impact your life in some way at some point. And what I mean by that is, you know, you might think you have a perfect family. You might think you have a perfect set of friends. Nobody really gets into that much trouble. Like, if they get into trouble, it's like the kind of, oh, my, kind of, oh, that's scandalous. But it's not like it's not like somebody almost dying kind of trouble, you know. Um, and so this is to say that um, no matter where you come from, statistics prove out that you your life will be impacted by it in some way so i wanted to kind of cover your story you know bring you in have you talk about it um talk about uh where it kind of where it started working through it um and now life after recovery and what it's looking like and what you're doing so um, let's kind of start out a little bit about you, you know, where were you raised, what have you done, stuff like that. Yeah, um, well, I'm a carpenter to start. I'm also in recovery. I want to make that clear. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like uh, an ending cycle like this in recovery thing is until I die. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's no end to the disease and it can always come back and get you for sure like it's doing push-ups while i'm talking to you right now Mm -hmm. but um you know i'm from olympia washington great area in my opinion compared Mm -hmm. to a lot of places i mean the homeless a little bit is bad but other than that like we don't have necessarily gangs that are rampant Mm -hmm. and we don't have a necessarily big problem i feel like with drugs and like schools and the people that are here Mm -hmm. you know um compared to a lot of places of Mm -hmm. course um and i think that was really good for me growing up too like i i think i was probably born in like the best place possible for me Mm -hmm. um and i would say that you know i I would say that like my life was kind of like leading to this moment of like I got to clean up my act and I got to get clean and I want to do different from my family. And I feel like that's something that like probably should get said early on because my whole life has been like all the examples have been set to like lead me to here. And it's either I'm going to switch and try to make a different person and um, become somebody else for, you know, my kids or my family or whoever, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? I want to be 
a better example. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's kind of what, you know, speaks to my character now these days. Mm-hmm. So starting it off, you feel like, you feel like, um, kind of your, your experience, like you said, has led you to this point. Um, because, you know, and that's, that's, I think something that everybody needs to connect with. I'm, I'm going to continue with what I was doing and the way my family has always been, or I'm going to set off on a new track and I'm going to change things. I'm going to create something brand new. I'm not going to get it stuck in the old ruts. Mm-hmm. I'm going to carve my, my own new path through right. this, through this wilderness. Um, so let's start out with the early stages. So, um, what, uh, what was your first, how old were you kind of when this, when this started, you know, uh, what was going on at the time that kind of brought you? Uh, I mean, an exact age, I don't know. Um, probably somewhere like sixth grade ish. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I probably had like drank dad's beer, you know, a little mm-hmm. bit before that or whatever. But I remember like that's when I first was given like my beer, you know, like this is the one mm-hmm. you get to drink. I was probably like sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like normal kid, you know, like mm-hmm. snowboarding in the wintertime, riding BMX bikes in the summertime, mm-hmm. playing sports, doing not super great in school, but passing, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not like failing at him, just not giving it my, you know, my best, mm-hmm. whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and life was normal. I mean, just normal kid growing up in, you know, mm-hmm. middle school. So s- you're going to have to help me with this because I was homeschooled. Sixth grade is like 12? Yeah, it's something like that. Like 12, 12 13? 12, 13, maybe 11. But I, I, think, I yeah. think you might be 11 going into sixth grade. But okay. I could be wrong. I don't know. It's just around that time. Okay. So around that time, and, you know, you're dealing with a lot of, it, it, for, at least from what I've heard, middle school is a lot of social, a lot more social pressure than, you know, grade school. Suddenly you're thrown into a tank with some really big kids because everybody's hitting puberty right then. Everybody's growing a lot. Everybody's changing. Emotions are hitting the <laughs> hitting the ceiling. Um you're experiencing a lot of change and you know, that change can be pretty, it can, it can set you down a track, I would say. And until you change your environment, meaning the people you're around, um, your life can't take a different track than what you started on at about 12 or 13. At least that's what I I identified from my life mm-hmm. specifically because I had certain friends at 13, 14 that kind of set me in one direction. Um, and then I hit community college, um, running start at about 18, 17, 18. And that started me on a completely different track. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what I'm saying. You got to jump, you got to get it in a different fishbowl essentially yeah. to change at that point. Mm-hmm. Would you say, would you say that's accurate? Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know about necessarily like jumping a fishbowl just to change who you are. I think that you can change a lot just reflecting um, Mm -hmm. often. But but you're right. Changing who you're around and changing your environment really uh, 
make makes and breaks a lot of people i feel like you know mm-hmm. so that first experience kind of where you were given your first opportunity i guess to decide what decide what path you were kind of going to go down uh was it was it alcohol or was it sort of more like drugs that they gave you no um I can tell you it was like a Budweiser, I think, or something more Bud Classy. Light. Bud Light, and you know, pops gave it to me, mm-hmm. which is, according to all a lot of my buddies, you know, like that's pretty normal. You drink a beer with your pops, like, you know what I mean? Like, I just I don't want that to be like thrown out there that my dad did some horrible thing, which, mm. in my opinion, it wasn't right that he did that, mm-hmm. but it is super normal, and he had no idea. You know what I mean? He didn't he didn't really know what he was mm. doing when he did that. Um, and it wasn't something horrible. Like I didn't like drink that beer and then just run out and find cocaine. You know what I mean? Like it (laughs) took a long time to get to the end, but yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that was like 12, 13 and I had my first beer, you know? Okay. Okay. Um, and did that become a, um, did that become a perpetual thing? Like it happened often after that point or was it just like spur of the moment is 4th of July hoorah kind of thing that that was like a hoorah kind of for i think it was like we were on a camping trip you know okay. what i mean so it was like we were on a trip somewhere and it was like here you go son you know what i mean mm-hmm. um i wouldn't say it was super consistent i mean maybe like nah, i wouldn't even say it was consistent at all at that point i mean it took a long time before drinking became regular for me just because when you're in middle school like you're pretty you closed in you're not, you know you're around your family a lot um yeah but i did start taking like every opportunity i could you know what i mean so probably after that beer it was probably like maybe three months and then i had another and then maybe after that it was like two months and then maybe two weeks and then it was like a couple mm-hmm. months you know just like real sporadic mm-hmm. through middle school okay and was it was it just your dad only at that point or was it like you were over at a friend's house and your friend's like hey man i know where we can get some, you know after that like. after that first time it was just whenever i was at a friend's house until i was um older i would say okay it wasn't a super consistent thing mm-hmm. oh actually i take that back maybe closer to like eighth grade it became like you know on the weekend i'd have a beer with pops that's what he would let me do okay okay so it, it, it the older you got, the more it became a consistent means of fellowship. Yeah, I would agree. Essentially, with, with fellowship, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um. And so, would you say? Would you say it was pretty? I don't even want to use that word, but um. It was more or less under control at that point or would would you say you were you could begin to see signs of becoming not in control of your consumption um i mean looking back now for sure like red flags just like knowing how my brain was working and like that Mm -hmm. sort of a thing but i hadn't put together this whole um that this whole thing that drinking is not what everybody does. And like, sm- like I had started smoking weed in high in uh, like seventh grade too. Like I had okay. figured like when you're in high school, everybody smokes pot 
and then when you go to college everybody smokes pot and then when you're out of life everybody still smokes pot like i just like Mm -hmm. that's normal so i figured you get you get fucked up on the weekends like that's Mm -hmm. just what you do um yeah and that was my normal until almost a year ago you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay and so with so obviously starting with a beer and then you said marijuana Mm -hmm. in seventh grade yeah um when it came to more of what we would classify as drugs um was it purely marijuana for a long time or like in seventh grade you know it was like yo man we're having a rager this weekend kind of thing um well i mean weed was definitely like the consistent all the way for a long time um but I, in middle school one of my friends had a surgery and she got um i don't even know what it was but it was some kind of painkiller mm-hmm. um and she gave me those a couple of times but i didn't like I didn't like sink my teeth into it right away. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't even do them for like a long time after that before I like got back into the harder drugs in mm-hmm. a way. Okay. Um, so it sounds like there were several years where you were able to sort of keep it under control. Like people didn't know necessarily that this was becoming a thing like your thing yeah Um, well i think also at that age that's very like common like every like when i I remember being in high school like all my buddies were into that shit like they just want to be you know they wanted to drink on the weekends or i'm honestly like drink whenever doesn't matter and smoke Mm -hmm. pot whenever like doesn't matter like yeah i mean freshman sophomore junior i mean even senior just like running around doing that stuff all the time is like very normal where i I, at least how i grew up you know Mm mm-hmm Okay, so so it was kind of like he's kind of like a band, yeah, a band of brothers from for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't uh, say it's just guys either, like both ways. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure, for sure. But yeah, they're just it's just living kid life, and okay. that's how I grew up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, were you worried at any point from? sixth grade uh, maybe beginning high school that you'd get that you'd get caught and found out by you know your parents or um whoever were you at all concerned at that point or was it just like i got this don't worry no it was definitely like i got this like mom did figure it out i mean i i had been coming home high Mm -hmm. and sitting in the car next to my mom high like just just smoked not that long ago Mm mm-hmm and she didn't know she didn't put it together for a while mm-hmm. and i just like confidence level just didn't care thought it was okay. invincible you know yeah didn't think it would gonna end <laughs> yeah <laughs> didn't think yeah everybody everybody's confident until they can't be anymore right exactly yeah so um so that that's interesting do you, was there anything in particular that you can attach that confidence to that just you thought just not getting caught like i remember i had like a like i got high and then my mom went, and then my mom was like hey i'm gonna come pick you up mm-hmm. and i'm like oh that's two hours early 
mm-hmm. this is going to be horrible. And then yeah. I got in the car and everything was fine. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, she has no clue. And I'm, I'm a genius. I'm a genius. <laughs> I'm invincible. You know, that, I remember that being like my thought was like I had a scary situation. Thought I was going to get in trouble. And then nothing happened. And I was like, so nothing's ever going to happen then. Oh. That's kind of how my brain went about it, I think. Yeah. Okay. Um. So obviously you felt you felt pretty good about navigating mm-hmm. uh, the parental situation. Were you ever concerned about law enforcement at that point? Did it ever cross your mind that, oof, this might be legal for adults, but mm. I'm um, underage? Yeah, I mean, only at school. Um, I mean, I just I I used to go to go high to school a lot and like leave class and go get high and then come back a lot. So, I mean, that was a little bit worrisome, but mm-hmm. just because I feel like when you're at school and, you know, everybody's around you and all your buddies know what's going on, like, mm-hmm. all it takes is, like, one person to say something and yep. you can get in trouble. Um, but nothing ever happened to me at school, uh-huh. uh, ever, so it was really huh. just parental stuff, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And administration i i'm not putting this on administration at schools because their hands are full enough Mm -hmm. but you weren't worried about them either at all no that's just yeah not really no no uh did anybody ever get caught by administration or their parents and like what happened uh like they just get suspended for a while or have some detention i mean i think really you only were getting you know like big trouble if you were like a repeat offender you know you just get in trouble Mm -hmm. all the time for the same thing every single time and it's like wow they gotta change to do something for you at some point but yeah i mean no i mean it wasn't that big of a deal for anybody okay So. so and this is this is kind of a um maybe more of a question for my curiosity i suppose um or maybe everybody but what lengths would you go to to try to conceal what you were up to oh um well i had strict ish parents growing up they used to go through my phone a lot Mm -hmm. so i remember like constantly every time before i'd see my mom or like think that i'd like see her i'd be like going through my phone wiping everything out and Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, just lying a lot, really. Like, I don't, I think I lived such a lie for such a long time. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't even know how I kept the story straight for, I probably didn't keep the story straight. I mean, mm-hmm. I just lied before telling the truth, even if mm-hmm. I didn't have to lie. You know what I mean? Okay. And it became such a normal thing. Like, I didn't even feel bad lying to my mom, which is mm. shitty in itself, self, you know what I mean? Yeah. Especially, like, when you're lying like that, you're lying to everybody like that. That's... That's the sad thing. Mm-hmm. So y- you ended up. That's an interesting point that you make because it's it's um, living living that lie takes a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and did you ever think about it at the time? Like, this is just it's too much, or was the reward at the time? Did it did it seem to be worth the risk? I guess is the question. Well, I would say it's fairly consistent for me in any like moment 
that I'm doing something that I'm not supposed to, like if I'm getting high or I'm drinking, mm-hmm. like that, that life is so chaotic and I almost thrive in that, you know, like the chaos of it all. Like yeah. I think life, like normal life to me can mm-hmm. be whatever I want. I can make whatever normal. Mm-hmm. So living that lie, getting high and drinking all the time, mm-hmm. normal, not a big deal. Like it didn't, never became too much, at least at that point. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was just normal life and that's how it is. Okay. So it was almost like an adrenaline thing. Yeah, I don't, yeah, and, and personally, I seem like I never change unless bad shit, like, happened, happened, like, just now. Like, mm-hmm. I got to get in trouble with my parents in high school or, you know, whatever that turns into, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Sky's the limit. Okay, so basically just get away with what you can while you can until you get caught, and then once you get caught, then we'll deal with it. Exa- deal. Yeah, exactly, that's how I changed, I mean, that's, that's how I'm clean and sober today, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so during your, during your high school tenure, moving past middle school, um, I kind of, I kind of see this as kind of like junior, senior year. I assume this would be kind of like the midpoint of your trajectory. Mm -hmm. Um, as much of a trajectory as you can, (laughs) you can call it. It was more like a slide, I suppose, is what, is what you'd actually say. Yeah. Or a drop. Yeah. Fall off a cliff kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Had your habit habits changed at that point? Had your um, propensity to get into more or greater or um, jump substances, had that, had that changed? Because at this point, we're talking three years after your initial exposure to alcohol. Mm-hmm. Three, four years after your initial exposure to alcohol, and then two to three years post exposure to marijuana. Mm-hmm. Um, I would definitely say that, like, it, like, turning up a notch, if you will, happened mm-hmm. my freshman year. Okay. Um, beginning of freshman year, I, like, had money for some reason. Like, I was just, like, I don't remember what I was doing, but I had money. I can't remember if I was working or what. Mm-hmm. but um, I had that going for me. I was in high school where there's drug dealers that I go to school with and everybody mm-hmm. knows. Um, mm-hmm. m- most of those guys just sold weed because it was still like that's what you did in high school was it's kind of hard to get weed. Mm-hmm. Um, but freshman year, I became like a daily, all day long like pot smoker for like six months, I think. Mm-hmm. Maybe less. Um, and then that's kind of when the weed thing turned up with like, Oh, I can, I can smoke weed all day long and nobody's going to know. And Mm. that's kind of how I live my life. I mean, school weekends after at home before bed, before dinner, I mean, just whenever, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and that lasted for six ish months. And then I got in trouble and I got away from weed and didn't smoke it like that for quite a while. But it was like, you know, at least every two weeks, oftentimes a couple times a week, I'd smoke like once a day kind of a thing, mm-hmm. like when I had the opportunity. Um, but that's that's when drinking kind of turned up was like sophomore year, towards the end of freshman year a little bit. I started drinking more, you know, not mm-hmm. every day, but, you know, whenever I could. Mm-hmm. And then I started driving um, when I was 16 and a little after I turned 16, I got, you know, truck and 
had a little bit more freedom mm-hmm. and I started drinking like every day, um, which I was stealing at that time from Safeway alcohol. So okay. I didn't really have money no more after I had my pot face freshman year. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's when like, I feel like internally maybe something started to change. Um, mm-hmm. so when I was stealing alcohol, like every day and, you know, drinking nonstop all throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And I, it's like the first time when I remember being, um, feeling like this is maybe I'm a little bit different than everybody else. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I feel like a lot of people at that time thought it was, oh, I'm an alcoholic because it's kind of cool. Mm. Um, and I was definitely one of those people. But I think at that time I started to like believe it more a little bit. Like, uh, maybe, maybe I am, you know, an alcoholic or maybe mm-hmm. I have like, maybe I'm going to have problems with this or like the bad things are going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like there's a lot of DUIs in our family. Um, mm. and then, you know, directly connected to me, there's like a lot of DUIs on both sides mm. of my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and problems with alcohol, like I, that I had seen growing up mm-hmm. and like decided I wasn't going to be like that. Um, those are the kind of things that I like started to wake up to when I was like 16 ish. Okay. Um, and the drinking like lasted a long time like that too. When I was 16, I was probably, I mean, six, seven months where I was drinking like every day. Um, Mm -hmm. and then I got in trouble. (laughs) He went out for a bad night, came back home and, uh, puking everywhere. And I was, I don't even remember the night, but, um, I woke up in the morning and, um, stepmom and dad were like, Hey, you know, you, you're, too fucked up to <laughs> like this has happened too many times or um mm-hmm. like we're not gonna like help you in this situation like you, your mom's gonna find out we gotta figure out what to do with you um because this is you're not allowed to do that and i was kind of like just you're in trouble mm-hmm. um but that day when i after i woke up i started feeling like real shitty um mm-hmm. and like nothing i had ever felt before um and it was withdrawal, like I was withdrawing off alcohol, not, not, I don't think it was as bad as, you know, some withdrawals that I, that I've gone through, but it was sh- the sh- worst thing I had experienced at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like caged up at home. I couldn't go anywhere. I was grounded. Um, I remember like, I think I like stole a beer or two that were in the house that night from my dad or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um and that made it better, I guess, but not, not really. Plus I was at that time, I was like really thinking like, Oh, I have like a major problem now. Like this isn't just like a hangover. This is like, this is lasting longer than it's supposed to for a hangover, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. I remember calling my mom who was out of town at that time and telling her, you know, mom, my not feeling good. I feel like I'm withdrawing. That's what the, (laughs) that's what the internet says. Uh, That's what the internet says. Yeah. Uh, like, I think I have a problem and, you know, told mm-hmm. her and then I talked to my stepmom about it and there, my stepmom has dealt with addiction in like previous before that. So mm-hmm. she kind of understood and was, um, you know, like, we'll get you some help for this. It's not the end of the world. Everything's going to be okay. And that's when I like first had my step with, I'm an alcoholic and I need to like maybe try to figure this out. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so 16 sophomore yeah. year. Yeah. Is when you kind of identified. And so then in 
your junior and senior years, did you stay off things for a while? No, I think I was only, I mean, I went to, they put me in counseling with some lady that probably wasn't, like, she probably didn't know what she was walking into when she met me, you know? Okay. She was like, oh, I help, you know, kids that feel anxious about school or whatever. I don't, I don't really know if that's what she was there, but like, she had never worked with anybody with addiction before. And, um, you know, I, I worked with her for like six months. I lied you know, 50% of that time. And I was only clean for like three months. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it didn't last. And I remember in that time, like going through that and being like, this isn't good. This isn't working. Like this is just, this isn't for me, but I like, I gave it my, gave it my shot and mm -hmm. it sucked. I got my, like I got some privileges back. I could drive again. And I was like, all right, sober life is not for me. That's not mm -hmm. who I am. Mm -hmm. I just give up on it. You know? Um, and was it social pressure that kind of made you think I'm not this person or was it like something within you that you were just like, I can't possibly do this. No, I mean, I don't even think it was like, I don't, I can't possibly do this. It was just like, this is sucks. Like sober life, this is not what I expected it to be. Or this isn't what, like, it just isn't worth it. Like life mm. is so boring. Life is so hard, whatever, you know what I mean? Mm. It's just like, it's just not worth it. Mm. And I remember being like, okay, I'll just go back to getting fucked up and it's fine. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was like, not necessarily like stoked about it, but. I wasn't upset either. You know what I mean? Okay. So it was some middle ground, like, this is what I know. This is what I do. I'm just going to go back. Yeah, like, makes life tolerable kind of a thing. You know okay. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what I kind of wanted to do to kind of bring to light maybe some part of Olympia that um, people don't quite understand, and that is kind of the the supply so kind of kind of to break up to break up the conversation because we know up till this point it's been mostly you know alcohol marijuana had you touched anything harder at that point uh, i did uh painkillers in like middle school a couple times maybe three or four times um, okay but it was no like consistent thing and mm -hmm. i didn't even really know what i was doing at the time okay my friend was just like hey you'll like these. And I was like, okay, I like them. <laughs> All right. Um, so the supply, talk about the workings of Olympia's sort of underground, for lack of a better term. Okay. When you're in high school, you said you knew, you started going to school with people who, people knew they were drug dealers. Oh, yeah. People knew they were dealers. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you couldn't you couldn't be like oh yeah, you know John over there. Yeah, like everybody knew what John did. Everybody knew John's mo, but they weren't telling anybody really. Yeah, and I mean I wouldn't necessarily say like everybody knew, but I'd say everybody, <laughs> everybody that I knew knew. You know what I mean? So okay. Yeah. There was always that guy somewhere. Mm -hmm. So when did they so? Did they come up to you and say, hey, man, you want some? Or did they, would, would they be like, um, you know, if you ever need anything, you come to me? Like, were they pushing or were they just waiting for people to come to them, I guess is what I'm saying. I mean, it's like high school. Um, 
word of mouth. <laughs> I mean, okay. everybody wants to know who's got weed. They don't have to push hard. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? It sells itself, especially in high school. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So people, people were just, he was the storefront and people were coming up. Yeah. Essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, at the, and this is maybe something you would know, maybe something you wouldn't know. Did you ever talk with those people like where they were getting their stuff, how they were sourcing it? Like, were they sourcing it from actual, like, gangs? Were they sourcing it from people who would go down to the dispensary and buy it? So the dispensary one, for sure, um, that's that happens a lot. Uh, okay. And But also, I have a friend, or a previous friend. I haven't talked to them in a long time. But mm-hmm. I have a friend from high school who sold weed to everybody. No names, of course. Mm-hmm. But his parents had a grow up, and he sold out of the grow up. So oh, so it's a family deal. Yeah, I don't. Need, I didn't. I don't know. I didn't know how that business works. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I was never in for the, those workings. But it was a weird deal. Mm-hmm. But like that's that was the homie. That's who I who I bought weed from. And he wasn't a bad guy uh, by any means. He only mm-hmm. sold weed, and smart dude. Never know he was a drug dealer or sold weed. You know what I mean? Really? But yeah. Like, I couldn't believe it when I found out. I've been going to school with him forever. Like, since mm-hmm. I began school, I've been going to school with him. Mm-hmm. Never knew. But his parents were the ones that grew it, yeah. ran it. In their garage, yeah. Huh. See, that's fast. That, that to me, that's the fascinating part. Okay. So, everybody on the podcast kind of knows. I have a, I have kind of a business mind. And so when, or I hope pe- I hope people, I hope this isn't the first time everybody's finding out. Oh, Adam's got a business mind. <laughs> um, but I kind of have a mind for that kind of stuff. When people say, you know, oh, well, it was it was like the family business. That to me puts it in a whole different perspective than some nefarious kid going, "How can I make a couple bucks off some kids in high school? Mm. I know what I'll do. I'll sell them drugs." Right. I wouldn't say the drug dealer necessarily is always like that. Like it's it's messed up what they do for sure. I don't mm-hmm. I don't I don't Absolutely. I don't agree with drug dealers, you know, I'm sorry, but like bad deal. Somebody's gonna do it, whatever. I'm just saying it sucks. Mm-hmm. But I don't think drug dealers are oftentimes people that are healthy in the brain. Like they're they're addicts themselves or they're dealing with something else in their life. Mm-hmm. They're not really trying out to kill everybody or hurt everybody's lives or ruin the world. Like they're honestly usually just trying to supply their own habit in my opinion. Um, just because I've met people who, who've sold drugs in their past in Mm -hmm. recovery and there, it was never about hurting anybody. It was only about, and it wasn't ever really about money. It was just to keep their lifestyle going because it was getting out of control. Like they couldn't keep up with money. But if you're the guy with drugs, you can usually do the drugs and then people will buy whatever else extra you know. from you. Yeah. Pays for your habit in a way. Mm-hmm. So after, or dur- so dur- that was during high school, you always bought it from kids that you knew, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Or had, you know, word of mouth spread and I found out who they were and, mm-hmm. you know, people I knew from school. Yeah. Okay. And then after high school, there were other people, right? It wasn't necessarily the kids from high school that kept going. Right. 
and you could always get it from them. Although there was one of those people. <coughs> yes. But but yeah. It was different okay. people. Different people. So after high school who 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 were these people and if you if you knew at all what was their what was their MO for doing what they did? Um I mean these are just like after high school it turned into like this whole um homely over Snapchat like <laughs> the drug dealers got Snapchat on his phone and he has accepts the people that will buy from him or mm-hmm. whatever. Um usually there's some kind of process like one guy would say um would post on his story like if you give out my Snapchat you gotta let me know so I can add that person because if I don't know where they came from I'm not gonna add them kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um and that's how most and that's how most guys were like you just they post what they have on their story and then you contact them and they -hmm. tell you where to meet, how much it's going to be. And that's, and that's how everybody runs their business for the most part that I ever came across at least. Mm -hmm. Um, and I found those people just like, it seems random now. I don't even remember how I met most of them now. Um, but same word of mouth from somebody somewhere told me, okay, this guy's got this. And then I'm looking for, and I was looking for something else or they, that guy was dry one day. So I got somebody else's Snapchat and like, mm-hmm. it's just a circle, you know what I mean? I okay. Build up a portfolio if you live that life, I guess. Yeah. A portfolio of references to where if one person's out, mm-hmm. you can go to somebody else. Yeah. Or like for me, it was like, you know, I was by smoking weed and then at one point I wanted to do like Molly or Coke. I think I wanted to do Coke and that's mm-hmm. when I got like the different guy's Snapchat, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and then they just reference you on if they don't have, if they don't have it, do they reference you to like their friend who Mm -hmm. is doing the other stuff or whatever? Or they just like, yeah. Well, I mean, when you're, I feel like for the most part, when you're like sell drugs, you kind of know like the drug scene, you know, Mm -hmm. who people who's selling. Mm -hmm. So it makes it easier for you to get stuff. Or if you don't want to deal with it, you just tell, you know, Hey, my buddy's got this. Mm -hmm. Like I remember for Coke, a lot of times, like that same guy, I'd try to go buy Xanax from and he'd be like, nah. But this guy's snap hit this guy up and he's got it though. Okay. So. And so the Snapchat, would you just be like on looking at random people's stories, trying to find somebody who was selling or was it more like, again, just the reference mm-hmm. friend of a friend? Well, yeah, friend of a friend, but like I, in, in high school I had met um, some people. I went to new market over mm-hmm. in Tomwater and it was like, there was a little bit like, rougher side of kids in there sometimes yeah. and um you know i never did any drugs with those guys but when i decided i wanted to do drugs or mm-hmm. like some real drugs um you know it's pretty easy just to ask them like hey who's got this and even if they were clean or weren't doing that stuff anymore like they they knew you know what i mean mm-hmm. it, it seems like when you kind of like get into that scene mm-hmm. it's hard to get out you know what i mean mm-hmm. for sure Cause I would, I would assume it kind of becomes your, fr- they're, they're, you're, they're your other family. They're your other friends because you, you do it so often mm. that you end up seeing them more than maybe you see your family sometimes, you know? For sure. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far to say like family and I wouldn't, I wouldn't even reach to say friends, but like, mm-hmm. I guess, I mean, you know, associates. Yeah. Like, he knows my name, and I know him, and if we saw each other in public, it'd be like, what's up? Yeah. But I'm not going to 
hit him up to hang out on Friday and he's not going to hit me up to hang out on Saturday. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> we, we don't associate anymore kind of yeah. deal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um. Actually, before we move on, I'm yeah. going to take a leak. Okay. Moving. Oh, All right. Uh, and we're back. Oh, okay. Amazon's saying my package was delivered. Cool. Um, back on task. Sounds good. Back on task. Um, so we were kind of talking about the supply lines. So Snapchat pretty much was how people connected, you said. Yeah. I think it's just the easiest way, especially like nowadays, like every kid has Snapchat on their phone. Mm-hmm. So. And the messages delete, right? Yeah. And the messages delete and. You can have a private story that only certain people can see, and mm-hmm. I mean everything about it's just like ideal for a drug dealer and if somebody trying to buy drugs. Yeah, mobile marketplace. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So I'm gonna save that question for a little bit later. So you go to New Market, right? Mm-hmm. Halfway through high school. Yep. So your last two years, uh, because what people may not know people may not understand is that um in washington state uh your last two years of high school could be spent doing a running start program or like a skills prep program which is in our area run through a place called new market and new market teaches is a vocational school and um you could also go to either south puget sound or centralia college and both of those places offer um, associate in arts degrees so that or associates degrees so that you can graduate from high school with an associate's degree or um, vocational training necessary to get a job right out of high school. It's a great it's a great program um, for for the most part. So you graduated high school um, and you got you got a full time job, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Uh, what were you doing at that time? Uh, so I was working for a, a custom home builder at the time. I'm a carpenter. So, um, you know, it was just nine, you know, get to work at six, get off work at four, mm-hmm. normal job for the trades, working mm-hmm. on houses. Working on houses. Um, did, did this change your patterns in use at all? Um, so when I first started out of high school it did because um i felt like oh i need to be responsible i have a job in the morning i better Mm -hmm. not stay up too late and i'm not gonna smoke pot while i'm at work Mm -hmm. not gonna be at work while i'm drunk none of that stuff um so you know for a while it did um i'd smoke pot after work every day Mm -hmm. like clockwork probably get a little drunk on thursday friday saturday whatever day um but it wasn't crazy excessive, not not like for a while. Um, you know, I maintained like that for three months, three four months. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that like at some kind at some point it switched. Uh, I think who I was working with at the time we decided to like, oh, we both smoke pot. We're the only two that work together ever. Mm-hmm. We're always at the job site together. I'm not going to snitch on him to the boss, and he's not going to snitch on me to the boss. So Mm -hmm. it became 
you know, I'm high all the time mm-hmm. from when I wake up in the morning until I go to bed again, like I did when I was younger, except mm-hmm. now I'm 18 and I work full time and, um, I kind of developed this attitude of like, fuck off. Nobody can tell me anything, mm-hmm. whatever. I don't care who knows. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. just gave up on like appearances, mm-hmm. um, especially with my parents or people outside, like my family. I feel like I gave mm. up appearances a little bit or, okay. um, I don't know. I guess that's kind of when things started to like take a turn again. Okay. Um, except there was nobody there to be like, okay, this is not right. You know, mm-hmm. I had the idea that I'm an adult now. Okay. Yeah. Um, was there anything particular, did anything happen in your life that you think you could maybe point to, to say, um, you know, this event occurred and that's what made me go, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm using more other than working with a coworker who was also Mm. using. Um, I think that like at the time, you know, I was just like trying to, I was trying to not get high during work. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like, I'm just not going to do that. Like it wasn't an option. It was like, I'm going to try to not be like that. And, um, I just, like at some point I was going to fail at it. Like I just like being high too much. Um, Mm. and I, I think that it was just the, you know, mental obsession or, um, whatever you want to call it. I felt like I functioned better when I was high. So I felt like I was doing everybody a service too. Like I justified everything Mm -hmm. in my head. Um, but I wouldn't say there was anything that was like drastically different other than I was out of high school and making money now so I could smoke more and buy more, you know what I mean? Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, um, at this point, how much of your paycheck would you say was going to pay for this kind of lifestyle? Mm. Uh, well, at that time, I was smoking like an ounce of weed every, uh, every two, three days, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was between like me and a few people, but mostly me. Um, and that's a hundred bucks every two or three days. So, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, maybe a large portion, <laughs> a large portion, probably half. Okay. Maybe a little less at that time. Okay. So a large portion of this stuff was going to kind of fuel that beast for sure. Yeah. Um, could you could you even guess how much you were sleeping by that point? Like had your had your sleep schedule um, been knocked been knocked off? No, I think that weed just makes me a lazier person in general mm. and it makes me like way less motivated. Um so uh sleeping's not a big deal. Um and that's what that's all I was doing at that point. I'd stay up late smoking weed, but I'd sleep really good because I'd been smoking weed and then sleep past my first alarm clock in the morning and show up a little bit late to work. No big deal. Mm. And that's just kind of how I lived my life for, I don't know, eight or nine months like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like eight or nine months in, I just like decided I'm not going to work anymore, I guess, for like six months. I just quit. I had enough. I had saved up a little bit of money and I was like, yeah. I'm just going to smoke weed. And that's probably like when sleep kind of went out because okay. I'd stay up all night long smoking pot and 
mm-hmm. wake up the very next day smoking pot and i just wasn't doing anything there was nothing to like drain my energy you know what i mean mm-hmm. so that was kind of <laughs> i guess when sleep took a turn but it wasn't bad i mean i wasn't like depriving myself like i did later on in usage okay um and had your eating at that point changed a whole lot because obviously the more of your paycheck gets used up by Mm -hmm. substances the less goes to you know quality food or whatever yeah um i mean i would definitely say i've never had like a super healthy diet but Mm -hmm. like especially when i'm getting high i'm not a hungry person like i don't i'm never one to get the munchies or whatever i eat like Mm -hmm. one meal a day and i'm good and i'm still guilty of that sometimes today like Mm -hmm. but um i'd say i probably started to like not put on any more weight around 18 when i started working too because i was Mm -hmm. smoking pot nowhere about lunch just eating one meal a day Mm -hmm. um but that just i feel like i just kind of like maintained where i at where i was at i wasn't losing weight or malnourished i don't think okay um and at that point, how were you managing responsibilities? And what I mean by responsibilities is like, I got a car, I take care of my car. I've got an apartment, um, I take care of my apartment. I've got family, how do I reach out to them? Or I've got friends, you know, do I talk with my friends? Do I get together, do I do things? How were you managing like those kind of responsibilities? Um, so, to get like to the point like around the eight or nine month period after i like right when i quit quit working i wasn't like my i mean i had nothing like i did nothing all day long except for like hang out with buddies and smoke weed like that Mm -hmm. was it um i don't think i even had much of a connection with family or really anybody other than you know like maybe a buddy or two that i was close with because we got high all the time Mm -hmm. and that was it that was the extent of my community you could say Mm mm-hmm um, which at that time, I mean, like I said earlier, I like make that my normal, I can make anything my normal life. And that was what my normal life was. And I was okay with it, I guess at the mm-hmm. time. Um, but definitely no responsibilities at all. I didn't have anything that I was waking up to do other than get high. I had okay. nothing on the agenda, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, and what, what month and year was this? that you kind of that you quit working uh it was probably february of 2019 yeah february 2019 okay i graduated 18 it would be about the winter after i graduated Mm -hmm. so right around in then somewhere okay and so you you quit work and for six months just kind of Sat around, did nothing, did nothing, smoked away all my money. You know, that's basically all I did. Okay. And so that would take you to August, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So February to August, you did that. Um, did you get another job after that point because you ran out of money or? Yeah, I found um, some, I'm not going to say the company name, but yeah. some shitty place in town. Mm-hmm. Um, they do countertops. That's where I learned how to do countertops. Uh, yeah, and I, I did that, and I, <laughs> you know, I got high while I was there with everybody that was there, and mm-hmm. um, it's kind of like that first time I had like a, a connection with somebody that was like 
doing drugs at currently harder drugs. I never mm-hmm. did them with him, but he like, I heard about it that he was that he was doing them. I asked mm-hmm. him a question, and he was like, "Oh yeah, normal." I'm like, "I'm a normal dude. <laughs> like this is normal. It's fine. Drugs really? aren't crazy." Yeah, and I believed him. I was like, "Oh, huh. my mind has been forever altered because of this guy right now telling me that." <laughs> He, you know, smokes meth before he comes into work, and I can tell. You know what I mean? And yeah. I'm, I'm around people fucked up all day long. I couldn't tell this guy. I thought he was sober. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and it's it's kind of crazy because, at least, well, I say crazy. I don't know a whole lot. You know, <laughs> it's definitely crazy for sure. I will <laughs> will be the first to admit I don't know a whole lot about this, but um, the most I ever saw of any of this kind of thing was going to school. And there were people who would come to class high, Mm -hmm. you know, and you could tell, you know, they were snoozing through half the class, you know, munching on a bag of Doritos and like bloodshot eyes and totally slurring all their speech, like all the time. Um, And that was about, that was about the extent of my, understanding so you know to hear the statistic like we read at the top of the show that you know 38 percent of americans in 2017 struggled with some sort of substance abuse um it took me aback when i first thought about it but listening to your stories of like oh yeah me and my coworker would go and you know we wouldn't we weren't going to snitch on them on each other to the boss and then you said, you know, the countertop place. Um, well, and nobody at that countertop place too. Like that place was just crazy with substance. Like even the owner, <laughs> really, was drug addict. I'm pretty sure he was doing coke when I was working there. You know? Wow, like just gnarly, huh? But and I don't know that for sure. So. Right. So we're not we're not saying the name of the place, and we're not yeah <laughs> we're not talking names. So, um, but the point the point is. The no, I think I think people really would be shocked and taken aback, and um, you know, because a lot of people like to, they like to put up a front, like, oh, drug addicts, my goodness, how could, th- how could these people possibly be part of our society? Mm-hmm. And it's like, listen, if you don't understand that everybody is co- most people most people that you see are coping in one way or another and whether it's you know they go home and every night they drink a six pack or and on the weekends they down 12 packs every day you know if they're coping with alcohol a legal drug um or they're going to their doctor and being like you got to prescribe me something because life sucks and the doctor's like well here you go here's a here's a bunch of benzos to take care of your anxiety or whatever exactly people are coping Mm -hmm. one way or another and when you start to realize that the human condition for the most part for most people is pain and suffering it really puts all of this into perspective you know and and i'll mention this and this is i we've had this conversation before, which is why it's okay to talk about it in front of everybody. But I had no idea. Okay. 
Um, I figured, I think I had heard at one point your freshman year that you had gotten in trouble. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, when was that? That would have been... Actually, when I had first heard about it, I didn't, I didn't, I was shocked, but I wasn't surprised. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was just stupid high school kid stuff. I was like, he got caught. He'll be, you know, sort of along the lines of what I have experienced getting caught doing things in high school. And it wasn't substance abuse or anything, obviously. But, um, and I, I, I put obviously in there. I should not have said obviously. Um, But so, you know, getting caught saying things with my friends or making jokes that I shouldn't have made, you know, stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. I'd be like, okay, I'm going to clean up. I'm going to straighten up, fly right. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not going to make a gross joke again. (laughs) Um, Till the next time. Till the next time, right? You're with your buddies and you're like, how stupid can I make this joke? Yeah. Um, But anyway. I had heard about it, and I was I was um, a little bit shocked, but I wasn't like totally taken aback. I was like, "Happens to a lot of people, you know. High school's a rough place, you know. I'm sure he just got caught up in the wrong crowd, yeah, and tried it or something and got caught." Um, but it wasn't until we took a car ride after you had come back um, that I sort of realized the extent. That it had gone to and I, I honestly all i thought was you know he's doing an edible or something before he comes to the family gatherings that's all i thought and i was like you know he must not i don't know what we ever did but he must not like us very much or something because he doesn't respond to texts or something yeah. like that and it but knowing more of the backstory now it's it helps me understand the kind of pain but both pain and sort of um, life choices and all sorts of things that were being made at that point, which, you know, really helps somebody like me who's kind of a straight-laced person. Mm -hmm. I honestly, my exposure to alcohol prior to being 21 was I was 20 and got handed like a glass of champagne at a wedding and said, here, take, try this, take a sip. And I was like, are you sure? Is this okay? So I took a sip of champagne when I was 20 and I accidentally mistook my dad's beer for a water at like a big party one time. And I spit everything that was in my mouth back into this cup and it was completely disgusting. Um, and like, I felt really bad after that because I was like, I'm like, I'm like 11 and I accidentally mistook somebody's beard for my water. Yeah, right. That was my experience with all that stuff prior to being 21. Mm -hmm. So that is to say um, our lifestyles were so incredibly different Mm -hmm. that I couldn't possibly understand what you were going through. And uh, so that is to say, if you come from a background like mine, where things are pretty tight, pretty, you know, contained, things are pretty straight laced, you're a pretty straight laced person, 
you're not going to see the signs and you're not going to understand. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hoping from this kind of podcast is that people maybe begin to understand the lifestyle that goes along with it and maybe they can identify something in in a family member or in a friend Mm -hmm. and they can stop and they can put a hand on their shoulder and be like listen if you're going through some stuff you know we can talk i i want to get you help and obviously that a lot of that comes down to the individual Mm -hmm. and whether that person is willing to accept help right um which is a great segue into our last kind of little bit here. Um, so you were working at the countertop place. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last couple months there, so y- were you working there all the way up until? Rehab? Yeah, until no. you came and found your mom? No, I, this is like... Uh, let's see. This is probably about a year, year and a half before I would finally like went and talked to my mom. Maybe even more. Um, oh yeah, because this would have been August to December mm-hmm. of 2019. No, that would have been si- if it yeah. was August of 2019. That would have been just six months prior, five months prior. Yeah, maybe I don't know. Because you came, you came forward in january yeah i might have my timeline off a little bit i do know that while i was at it was probably or when i before i started like when i started doing drugs more it was probably closer to um four three three eight nine months before i went to rehab which was in okay february 1st let me make a note here real quick okay um 14:43 is what i said you just mentioned the name of the business. Oh. <laughs> it's okay. I got you. I've done this before. Good man. Uh, one. My bad. 114. 43. Bins. All right, so you were working at this place, mm-hmm. and we were saying it was roughly, more, more roughly, or less. yeah, roughly eight to nine months before I went to rehab, which was on February first, is when I checked in. Um, I, I that would put me at still being as when I started doing like harder drugs or things that were people would be like, oh, that's a little more than weed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um. And I would say that's probably like my those are my like real low points that mm-hmm. started like pushing me off you know off the edge a little bit more. Um, was not looking. I was not hopeful for the rest of life at all. I kind of mm. thought my you know my conception or my idea of what my life was going to be like is not gonna happen or it's not what it was supposed to be or whatever. Kind of mm-hmm. like living in the poor me state of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was pretty consistent until February mm-hmm. and afterwards a little bit too. Okay. So would you say that that state of mind that you were in led you to using more to try uh, to drown it or? I think that, um, 
you know, I would, I don't know that I would call it suicidal thoughts, but like, I just like, I felt like I wasn't scared to die anymore. Um, mm. and honestly, I felt like if I'm going to die, like might as well do some drugs. Like, <laughs> like I, I've always, like I had always in my head kind of knew, knew or thought they were cool mm-hmm. in my own eyes. I thought they were cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there was like a level of fear that was associated with them, mm-hmm. um, that I lost somewhere, um, before that but mm-hmm. that's when it like became apparent like oh i'm not necessarily scared of them anymore i guess mm-hmm. or or the fear isn't strong enough to override the like the curiosity of it all um but you're right like that drowning out feeling that was probably part of it just more subconscious not necessarily like an actual thought i had okay you know what i mean Okay, so your your inhibition went away. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, you weren't like, "Well, I'm scared, so I'm not going to do that much." You were just like, "Full send," you know, "We're we're going," yeah, kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And that's also in the time like that eight or nine that eight eight or nine months before, I was, I think I was I was sitting at home one day like with mm-hmm. my buddy. And we were smoking weed, and I remember, like, I don't even remember, like, the thought really coming up a lot before that, but I remember just looking at him being like, you want to do some coke? And he was like, yeah. And neither one of us had ever done coke before. Hmm. And we just, like, it, all the dots came together. Everything fell in, fell in a row. Yeah. And we had coke in, like, 30 minutes. Wow. And then I... <laughs> wow. Yeah, and I didn't stop for, like, eight to, nine, eight to nine months. So it was like, Wow. So it was for your place, for your place where you were at in life, all the connections you had, it was that quick. Oh, yeah. 30 minutes. Well, and it, and the thing is, it never usually works out like that, right? It was mm-hmm. just like this off chance, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That everything came together mm-hmm. for some reason on that one day. I think it was like a Wednesday. It wasn't mm-hmm. even like a Friday or anything. It just, it worked out like that. <laughs> That's crazy. Because that, to me, if it if it never really worked out like that again, that almost sounds like, you know, that was like a divine plan yeah. for your life. Mm-hmm. Not to say that God puts us in those situations, but to say when the devil opens a door, yeah, it happened he like opens that. it wide. Mm-hmm. For sure. Because... Obviously, you know, that was, maybe that was your point of like, you know, let's, let's do this, let's do this harder. Mm-hmm. And because I, from what I understand, it didn't stop it. Coke. Yeah, no. So from, basically you went from, you went from Coke to full bore to done in nine months about. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. So, um. So what I kind of wanted to get into was that that last three-month period. What did your life kind of look like? What did your day consist of? Um, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, so right around like that last third or that those last three months, like by that time I had gotten like I'd done a lot of the drugs that I had, you know, that my, let's say my career of drug mm-hmm. use, I'd pretty much done what I've, everything at that point that I've ever tried. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there wasn't any necessarily new drugs coming in. It was just more heavy use. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, like I was doing a lot of Molly, which, uh, you're not supposed to do, (laughs) you're not supposed to do that, but you're Mm -hmm. also not supposed to do that like frequently. And I was doing that every week, usually three or four times. And, um, in a large amounts, like probably three or four grams a week, maybe five grams a week. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a lot of money. Uh, mm-hmm. and I was also doing a lot of pills like Xanax, um, and like perks and oxys, that sort of a thing. Um, I wasn't so much into like the opiates as I was Xanax. I like benzos a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, ecstasy, I did a lot of ecstasy, mm-hmm. um, which is simply a different version of Molly. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're a little bit. They're a little bit different. They say that you're with Molly, you get like a more aggressive high. I guess I don't. Mm. I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. I always felt like I got better Molly than I did ecstasy. Mm-hmm. It was just how it worked out. Yeah. Um, and I was mixing ecstasy with Xanax a lot. Um, and that's kind of a gnarly drug. I feel like that messed my brain up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I feel like Molly messed my brain up quite a bit. Um, mm at the time especially uh and i would say definitely too that you know um doing that i was doing that stuff like every day daily uh and all of it came from who knows really Mm -hmm. you know what i mean a lot of the xanax i was doing was probably cut uh Mm -hmm. with fentanyl which is a gnarly gnarly drug let's talk about that specifically because that's something i think a lot of people don't really understand the depths of a lot of the time because they think oh they're doing you know you're doing ecstasy or you're doing molly or you're doing some other drug and they don't understand that you know if it's if it's coming from a dealer um if it's well if it's coming from like a local dealer that you met on snapchat uh there's a guy above him and he's more of a trafficker and then there's probably a trafficker on the other side of the border or a trafficker from a uh, manufacturing facility here in the U.S. or maybe over overseas. A lot of pills are manufactured in China or uh, other places that are cheaper, and so that raw, those raw goods come either into the U.S. or into Mexico. And those raw goods are fairly—I mean, they're they're pretty—they're expensive for people, but then they cut them mm-hmm. with things like fentanyl, and you know. Most people have heard, at least I heard in the law enforcement circles that I've been in, um, that, you know, it's cut with cocaine, it's cut with sugar, or it's cut with some other substance that looks like cocaine that uh, people can't tell the difference. Yeah. Well, and they, you know, you can cut a lot of stuff, but like for pills, I mean... A guy could be in business as simply as going on the dark web and buying a press, mm-hmm. a pill press, and getting alazapram, which is a powder. You can get it in the powder powder form off the dark web, mm-hmm. ship that all to your house, mm-hmm. and like you're pressing like pure alazapram pills, or you're pressing a quarter percent alazapram pills and three quarters, whatever the fuck. Yeah. Or whatever the mix is, I never press pills. But like right. that's the thought, right? You can do whatever you want and a guy can be in business by 
just get on the dark web. Yeah, just, I mean, anybody with a computer. Mm -hmm. And enough balls to have that show up at your house and not worry about the feds. (laughs) Right. But like you said, a lot of these people are just looking for another way to cover their habit, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like you had gotten to the point where you weren't necessarily afraid of death, and it was just, you know, no holds barred anymore. Um, Those people may be in the same place, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the kind of I don't give a I don't give an f anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna full send. I'm gonna ride this as long as I can. You know, maybe they're at the point where they're like, I want money, I want drugs and money. Like I want to be the guys that rappers rap about. You know, kind of thing. I want the Benz, and I want the Benzos. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. Yeah, and I wouldn't say that I know any drug dealers that are rocking with the Benz and the Benzo and the Benzos. <laughs> A lot of those guys are, you know, they make money, I guess, out of them, but yeah. it's not really about money. For a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so those those last couple months, it got it got pretty dark. Um, yeah, and it, and it was also, um, I mean, it was getting really out of hand. I was living with a girl who I'd, like, met randomly on like tinder i think Mm -hmm. like moved into her place a week later because i was getting kicked out of my mom's house Mm -hmm. um and like that was a bad situation you know i was leaving home in not the greatest state and Mm -hmm. um they didn't really know what to do with me i wasn't really motivated to do anything they kind of figured if i moved out then i have to get a job and pay for rent and that kind of a thing so they were thinking well responsibility Mm -hmm. is good but I mean, that was like on my own, no responsibilities with people that, you know, um, didn't really know what to do with a person that's going to do that kind of stuff. And it got pretty darker for a while. Mm -hmm. And then um, the last three months in particular, too, were like, I wouldn't say it was just like, it wasn't even fun anymore because there was starting to be a lot of scary nights where I felt like maybe I'm dying right now or, Mm -hmm. you know, definitely some nights where I'm like definitely losing my mind. Like it's kind of starting to slip bad. Like I'm extremely paranoid, Mm -hmm. um, extremely anxious. I'm cold, but Mm -hmm. sweating at the same time, nonstop. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not sleeping at like hardly at all. I'm probably sleeping like once every two or three days. And, Mm -hmm. Um, that's when, in those last three months is when I got like a real taste for, um, doing Coke, like all the time. I met Mm -hmm. a guy up in Tacoma who good prices and good blow. And, Mm -hmm. um, he always came through for whenever I needed. So Mm -hmm. it kind of like worked out to being, I'm not like spending money on anything else Mm -hmm. other than Coke or pill. I just, any mostly Coke, but other drugs too. Um, and I'm not eating like hardly, I'm probably only eating like once every couple of days. I mean, Coke really doesn't, um, make you hungry. You know what I mean? I felt, mm-hmm. I never was like starving mm-hmm. is what it felt like, but I wasn't eating. Um, and I was starting to look real bad too. Um, mm-hmm. losing a lot of weight in particularly. Mm-hmm. So the last time I saw you, 
before um well actually I didn't I hadn't seen you at all between uh Christmas of 2019. Uh, I'm not sure I saw you at Thanksgiving. I no, forget. I was, in, I was in Canada Thanksgiving that year. Yeah. So. Um so but I saw you Christmas. Yeah. I don't remember that time, but I know I did. Yeah. Um and I I wasn't really sure <laughs> I wasn't really sure what was going on again. You know, I thought, oh, he's on an edible. Mm-hmm. I watched, I listened to Joe Rogan from time to time. I think I know what this looks like. You know, little did I know. Um, you didn't look too bad. I knew you were getting skinnier. Mm-hmm. And I was worried. But um, I wasn't, I didn't know what to say. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. Um. And I didn't want to ask any questions because I really didn't want the answers. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, to me, was probably the scarier thing is I didn't want the answer because I felt it would hurt too much. You know? Well, I wouldn't have given you a straight answer anyway, so you wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't have gotten it. <laughs> and you said that before. You're like, I just would have lied to you. Yeah. I don't even like, you couldn't help me. Yeah. basically mm-hmm. is what you said um and so uh that and i, I remember vividly because i was really get so you know after school obviously if you if you take out loans and you got debt or whatever you pay it off well i paid off mine like real quick and so that last christmas i was like putting my last like chunk of money at it i had like you know i had gone from like ending school with 10 grand in the bank to having like a thousand dollars left in the bank by the time i was done and i had paid off all my debt and like i had used all my paychecks to pay it off really quick because i wasn't going to wait like 20 years or whatever standard length of loans anyway and so i was feeling real good i was feeling real jazzed and here comes wyatt in a daze <laughs> He doesn't even know what hit him, but gosh dang it, Adam's got a financial story to tell him. Mm-hmm. And so you sat down at the table, and I was like, hey, man, what are you using your money for? And he, <laughs> oh, and you said something like, oh, you know, I, I, I save a bunch, and I spend some on rent, and I spend some on food. And I was like, hey, man, if you ever want to get together, I've got, I got, we, we can work out a budget. I can, t- I can work it all the way through, you know, how much you're spending on rent, how mm-hmm. much you're spending on food. We can budget for this. You know, how, how do you want to live? We can do, we, we can work this out so that you feel financially su- successful. And I even said something like, are you putting money toward retirement? You should really be putting money toward retirement. Like, let me tell you how to set up a retirement account. Like, I went off for probably 15 minutes mm-hmm. on this poor guy that was sitting in front of me not knowing a thing that was going on behind the scenes and <laughs> and I look back on it from time to time now and I just chuckle yeah cuz it's like I didn't know any better right what was no, I you wouldn't you wouldn't know any better I mean like that's just how it is and so it was it was my my naivety is um was is uh, a point of hilarity <laughs> to me from that from that point in time. But um, with that said, it didn't take long after Christmas for there to really be a problem. Yeah. Um, and can you can you kind of speak to 
was how was your memory at this point? Obviously, you don't really remember that time, right? Yeah, it's all pretty hazy. Um, but I mean, memory was shot for sure. Like, so as a carpenter, you write down numbers, right, and you take them back to a saw. You cut all those numbers and you take them back and install them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, mm-hmm. or oftentimes, carpenter will go take a number or just put it in his brain. Mm-hmm. He'll cut that you know, three steps away from where he measured it and mm-hmm. put it in. I couldn't remember for the three steps. Mm. I had to write down everything mm-hmm. and even write down stuff. My brain would like stop halfway through. It seemed like, mm-hmm. like I just couldn't really do my job anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as like memory goes, like in those times too, I was doing Xanax, which for those who don't know, blocks some time out. You mm-hmm. lose a lot of time when you're doing Xanax that you just don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, I know I've, you know, gone to work Monday, got off work, bought some Xans, gone to work the next morning, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and then woken up and been like, oh, too bad it's Tuesday. And I'm, mm-hmm. it's Friday, and I don't even know what the fuck I'm talking about. Yeah. And, somebody else has to tell me like i don't put it together for some reason mm-hmm. and the fact that you can go that long yeah blacked out is amazing mm-hmm. and also that you can drive around blacked out and not have killed anybody mm-hmm. is amazing which I'm, I'm assuming nothing ever happened because i've never had anything come back to me mm-hmm. as far as like that happening you know like nobody's gotten hurt or mm-hmm. anything like that um but on top of that, like, I'm at work all day, like, on top of ladders, planks, mm-hmm. using a skill saw, shooting stuff with a nail gun, like, <laughs> like all kinds of stuff. And I have all my fingers, and I don't have any deep cuts on my body anywhere from work or anything mm-hmm. else. And I did that for, I did that stuff for a long time, or long enough for something bad to, should have happened, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so... I mean, it's even as far as like memory goes, like I was just missing a lot of time in general. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, and I've heard from others that like I couldn't remember, you know, days apart. Like my friend, um, no names, I guess. Mm-hmm. My, fr- my buddy would come over who was not doing these drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would talk to me about like, oh, how's school going? Or like he'd be talking about school. And then I would be telling him the same story for mm-hmm. a week straight or four different times different days wow thinking yeah this first time i've seen him and this is the first time he's ever heard this amazing thing i gotta tell him it's probably some bullshit yeah you know what i mean and he's like what the hell's going on with this guy you know what i mean so there was just like my i was just slipping man you know i was just Mm -hmm. slipping i wasn't in reality anymore Mm -hmm. that's where mentals mentally i was yeah um, and that, that's something that's, or I, oh, I'll circle back to this. Xanax is a legally prescribable medication for people who think they have problems or maybe they do have problems. Okay. Mentally with life. People are popping that stuff and actually being in our society and functioning. Now, they may not be popping as much. Yeah, for sure. Like, a light dosage of Xanax can be super beneficial medically for the right person, I guess. 
yeah. for me. The I guess part. Yeah. That's so a benzo, right? Xanax? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those are very hard to come off of. Yeah. The with- So they say that alcohol and Xanax, you know, is the two withdrawals that can kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it can be super beneficial for some people. It can be super detrimental to others. I mean, it's it's a gnarly drug and it definitely gets prescribed a lot. I feel like, um, mm-hmm. in light dosage is like 0.25 milligrams, 0.5 milligrams, maybe a milligram, mm-hmm. I think is like more of a normal dosage from a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're clean. They're not like polluted with yeah. being cut down the line. Right. Um, whereas if you're, you know, doing Xanax to do it as a drug, like for fun, I guess, recreation, yeah, recreation, right. You're doing a lot more than that, typically. Like, if, mm-hmm. especially if you're doing that stuff every day, mm-hmm. um, your tolerance goes up, and you lose any care of in the world about anything. At least I did. Um, mm-hmm. Couldn't couldn't give a fuck about tomorrow. Couldn't give a fuck about today. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter where we're going, what we're doing, mm-hmm. whatever. Just led to a lot of bad nights. Yeah, but um, it can be super beneficial, but also. <laughs> probably like the one of the worst drugs there are you know Mm -hmm. yeah um and i think i mean that's that's a legitimate concern that has actually people have people have noted even in prescribable medical doses um people uh, it's it's like a zombie Mm -hmm. walking around not knowing what's going on and it's it's weird that you can look at a human being and they're not there oh yeah they're not in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I guess, you know, as somebody that's always been brutally aware of everything that's going on <laughs> at all times, uh, that's a whole different state of mind that I, you know, I, I don't understand. And, you know, God willing, I'll never understand. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it is it is sobering to bring the word sober up. Um it is sobering to get to understand this kind of lifestyle and how how it really does affect people and how they end up, you know, walking down that road. Mm-hmm. So, I I I think you told me at one point um, that you had done enough of a certain substance. I forget what it was at some point to have killed you. Oh, yeah. Like you had said that, uh, well, you know, such and such rapper did, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was like four bars of Xanax or something like that. Yeah. And like he died. Oh, yeah. Like that's, I mean, it's when you're doing pressed pills, though, like just spinning the wheel on the revolver, dude. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. one of these days you're going to get, you're going to get got. And that rapper, like he took six. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure he's taken way more than that, but that's what he died on was six. Mm-hmm. Fentanyl sands you mm-hmm. know to cut the cut pills uh i mean there was a long time where i was like consistently taking like nine nine ten of them things a day mm-hmm. and there was days where i took a lot more than that you know what i mean mm-hmm. um d- yeah it's just like it's just a matter of time with that kind of thing you know yeah. what i mean um so you're playing you're playing russian roulette essentially with whoever's dealing you these pills right and if you want to like be like where you can get test kits or whatever 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 i just i wasn't mm-hmm. you know what i mean like yeah. yeah you can test your xanax with fentanyl you, you don't have to die from fentanyl on your pills but like i'm a junkie 
I'm buying, if I've already bought it, it's going in my body. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what it has in there. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, so test gets whatever drugs are drugs too. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that stuff was going to kill me at some point, even if it wasn't cut with fentanyl, you know what I mean? Right. At some point you do reach too much mm-hmm. for your system to be able to handle. Mm-hmm. Did you ever almost get to that point? Any, and do you have any stories specifically where you were like, that was it, I was close? Um, that you remember? That's the thing. If I was if I was that messed up, I probably wouldn't have remembered. But um, I know I've, I've been told there's been lots of times where I've like nodded out even um, for like long periods where people didn't think I was breathing right. Um, mm-hmm. Or, like, when I was doing coke a lot, um, you know, extended use. Like, it's one thing to do that, to snort, like, say, a gram of coke in a day mm-hmm. once on a Saturday. Like, that mm-hmm. is not healthy, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not going to argue that. It's not good for you. It's not healthy. You definitely mm-hmm. shouldn't do it. But probably not going to kill you. Probably not even going to kill you to do that, like, barely consistently. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not going to just do a gram of coke, but that's not the worst horrible thing ever. Like it probably not going to kill you, but mm-hmm. um, when you start doing that stuff, like repeatedly day after day after day, that's when they say your risk for ODing goes up. Okay. Is like the, the repeated use. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas I know it, that's how I understand it. And I started doing Coke like every day and a lot of Coke, like every day, more, more Coke than I could afford to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like all my money, not even counting. I'm not going to like, it's like, that's like me saying, I'm not going to pay rent. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to buy food. Mm-hmm. Somebody else is going to handle that for me, I guess somehow. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to, everything I make is going to go. Mm-hmm. That's like when I started feeling like my heart's going to explode and I'm not, I'm not doing good right now. Like I'm mm-hmm. not feeling good. And that's where like nights where I started getting like really scared towards like two o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and I'm just tweaked got geeked don't know where i'm at really too paranoid <laughs> for anything i'm like peeking out windows and stuff like that <laughs> and, uh, you're doing real crackheads yeah like it's it's for real at that point it's mm-hmm. like lack of sleep and like i'm losing my mind and i think i'm dying sometimes and like you know i've had lots of moments where i'm like praying to god like don't take me right now it's not my time to go it's, <laughs> but 30 minutes later i'm like <laughs> sniffing another line so yeah. it's like there's nothing's nothing's real my in my <laughs> i'm not having fun you know what i mean i'm mm-hmm. not having fun but i'm getting high and i think it's what i want to do i guess and mm-hmm. i just it's it's, it's insane like, yeah but you're too caught up to know any different essentially yeah i mean it's a full-time job being a junkie like that mm-hmm. i mean you're you're like working every day to afford your habit that you're gonna s- do all night long not mm-hmm. gonna sleep and then the day after that, you're going to wake up and do it all over again. Like, if anybody told me mm-hmm. I got to go to work to spend all my money on something I'm going to do after work that's going to keep me up all night long so that the next day at work sucks even more, oh, and you're not going to eat, and sometimes you're not going to sleep for a couple days, mm-hmm. I would be like, I don't care what it is. I won't. Yeah. I just won't. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And that went away, like the whole, oh, sleep's sleep's normal it's supposed to happen gone i'm supposed to eat more than one meal a day 
gone. I'm supposed to eat every day. Like that's gone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like everything, like the uh, spending, you know, insane amounts of money mm-hmm. every day or every week or whenever you're picking up mm-hmm. and running out of money every week and spending mm-hmm. three or four days or like trying to make these pills make like last so mm-hmm. I don't have to spend too long sober. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like that whole insanity was just my life and that's what I was where I was at you know what mm-hmm. I mean um but there's like a there's definitely a point where it like it, it's gonna end and it's like coming like I knew it was coming okay I knew I was gonna end up in rehab someday probably I yeah. just didn't think it was gonna be so soon okay you know? so you had you had a sense of impending doom mm-hmm. one way or the other yeah for lack of a better term um and that's that's interesting that you had those that clarity oh, yeah. even even in the middle of it so um you came for help mm-hmm. nobody came for you correct can you detail if if you can detail kind of what went on or what has been relayed to you that went on um Okay, so, so here's what I know. Um, let's see, January, I had just moved into a new apartment with my best friend. Mm-hmm. It's like kind of a dream come true for me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, drug use was bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and January also started out with me. I broke up with the girl that I'd been living with when I moved into this apartment. I like, oh, I've used all that she's good for in my, you know, um, in my addiction, I'm a different person for sh- like for sure than who I am now. Mm-hmm. But at, when I'm in addiction, I'm using whoever's around me mm-hmm. for whatever they're worth. Mm-hmm. And she, to me, was like money and a place to live. And she like made sure I got up in the morning to go to work, kind of a thing, mm-hmm. um, which is horrible. And I feel horrible about all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that's just like that's that's what it is. Like I can't sugarcoat it or put it any other way. Um, mm-hmm. And going into that last month, like, I was with a buddy who, um, you know, drugs were normal to him, too. Let's mm-hmm. just say that. And, um, like, it just, it got too much. I was doing, we were doing coke, or I was mostly doing coke, like, every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, like, knowing the end of the month was coming and rent check was going to have to be paid, like, I... Like, I just kept putting it off. Like, I'm just not going to have money for it. It's basically where it came down to. And, um, I mean, it went to the point where I borrowed, like, two grand on top of what I made from the bank somehow. I don't even know exactly how that happened. But mm-hmm. I had, like, four or $5,000 that month that went straight up my nose. Didn't, mm-hmm. <laughs> didn't really get spent on anything else. Um, mm-hmm. And it was three, three or four, it was, like, three weeks of that. And it was towards the end of the month. And um, I hadn't been getting my hands on any Xanax. It seemed like everybody didn't have any. Mm-hmm. And finally, like that fourth week, like, Plug hit me up and was like, hey, when you're ready. Yeah. <laughs> and I was ready. Mm-hmm. And um, bought a bunch of Xanax. And also in this last month, I was gotten to the point with the job where I was, or with the guy I was working for, that he was like, if you're late again, you're you're done. You're fired. Um, uh-huh. So I 
So leading up to this, I bought the Xanax. It started getting high. It was like Sunday or Monday or something like that. Um, I was supposed to go to bed early. I stayed up all fucking night and mm-hmm. woke up in my closet or something like that. I don't remember the whole thing. Um, yeah. But it was, I like looked at my phone. It was like 10 o'clock or 9 o'clock or I was supposed to already be at work. It's mm-hmm. like what was supposed to be happening. My boss had texted me and saying like, hey, you know, sorry it couldn't work out, but wish you the best. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was fucked. Like I needed to pay rent. Yeah. <laughs> he also was my landlord too. So when I got oh. fired, he, I'm also my, <laughs> just got fired by my landlord. Um, and I was fucked. Like I didn't have any money. Um, I didn't know what to do. I had like an ounce of weed, um, and a bunch of Xanax. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was trying to sell, I was trying to sell weed, the whole thing to somebody for like, whatever money it wasn't it wasn't enough money for rent let's just say that mm-hmm. um it was just basically it's gonna be enough money to get me high again yeah and uh kid was in Tacoma. i drove up there um pearl street tacoma mm-hmm. you know and uh i pulled up to like this chevron um and i like recognized the kid pulled up to him and uh he asked to smell the weed i was like okay sure he took it, he put it in his pocket, and he's like, this is mine now. And I was like, I'm afraid not. Like, this is, I just can't let you do that to me right now. I'm just yeah. like, life sucks too much. Yeah. And he pulled a gun on me. Um, it was Glock for mm. gun people out there. <laughs> Very intimidating. You could tell for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that hunk of metal and plastic was a Glock. Yeah. And uh, and he was strapped. He was good. He was ready to rock. Yeah, that's how it is up in Tacoma, though. It's a little different than he, down he here. didn't have just a standard. You, you said he had an extended mag. Yeah, in, he's right? got the you know like the. And all I know is it has is an extendo because I'm a COD player, but yeah, it's extendo. You know, sticks yeah. out the bottom or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many rounds it is, but it's thirty-two. It's more more than enough to kill me. You right. know what I mean? And uh, I remember you know going back and forth for him for a second about like, nah. You, like that's mine or i'll like said something stupid like you're gonna regret this and i was like he's like no nah, this is just mine and i was like why are we better just kill me then mm-hmm. and then he dipped he just ran yeah went to his homie around the corner dropped off the ounce i'm assuming mm-hmm. and uh he like saw me see him and he took off like cut out the back end of the parking lot and it kind of cuts through some trees where you can't drive through mm-hmm. i hooked it out went down a block turned left Seeing him running down the street, mm-hmm. I'm like, I think I was beside him, and I like saw where the I had like an opening to pull in, and I mm-hmm. pulled in. He was maybe he was a ways back, probably I don't know how far it was now. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty fucked up, by the way, in this moment. Like I'm yeah. barred out for some reason. I remember this. Everything else is kind of black yeah. on that day. Um, but pulls out the gun again, like running down the street towards me, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, I guess that's it. Like, I don't have my ounce of weed no more. I don't have any money. Mm-hmm. I'll just turn around and go back home. So I turn around <laughs> turn around and hop on the freeway. Um, and I'm on my way home. I'm somewhere between Tacoma and Olympia, probably somewhere near the military base. Mm-hmm. And I ran to the back of somebody's car. Um, I don't really know. If I did anything to his car, I don't think I did because mm-hmm. nothing ever really came of it with the insurance or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but my car, my truck was messed up bad. Mm-hmm. Bumper was like pushed in rubbing on the tire now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and this time I had not been taking care of my vehicle at all. Mm-hmm. So it didn't have brakes. That's probably why I hit the guy because yeah. I'm delayed reactions. Mm-hmm. Um, so I drove my truck all, <laughs> all the way back home mm-hmm. with this bumper in the tire pretty much and messed up and somehow or something happened that night. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, probably just got high. Mm-hmm. Um, woke up the next day and went and talked to my mom who lived like three minutes from my apartment at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> drove over there with my car. That sounds like, I don't even, it sounds like a shotgun going off every three seconds. Cause the, the bumper going on. Oh yeah. It's just like bang, 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 bang. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. drove, <laughs> drove there, sat down with, the, I don't even think I was really planning on telling her everything. I think it just kind of fell out of me. Yeah. Um, I know I was high when I told her, I know, I know that, it, um, you know, it was a big deal for her to hear that because she mm-hmm. was kind of like you where you, she didn't really know mm-hmm. what all was going on. She knew I was not doing good, but she knew mm-hmm. she didn't know to what extent. Yeah. Um, and I mean, she just like dropped everything and was like, all right, we're going to figure this out right now. And, mm-hmm. you know, I came clean to her, I guess, about everything that I had been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, she took me over to Newmarket Skills Center because I had a mm-hmm. teacher there who... Um, was impactful for me in a number of different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, you know, just got, got straight with me pretty quickly. was like, you know, you got a big problem. Mm-hmm. This is not going to be like easy to recover from, or mm-hmm. this is not going to be easy to deal with. Um, mm-hmm. And you need like professional help, which I w- hadn't heard yet. I had, I was still into this, like, I don't really know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know if anything's ever going to like it. Maybe they'll just pay for my rent this month. Yeah, like I'll scheme somehow. Something yeah. good, something's I'll scheme it somehow, you know what I mean? Um But he was like, No, you're here's the number for the lady that's gonna tell you where to go for rehab. Give it to your mom. Mm-hmm. You got insurance, right? Yeah, I'm like double covered. Okay, cool. Here you go, Wyatt. Good luck in rehab. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um All 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 while this is going on, I'm I'm fuzzy. I mean I'm high still mm-hmm. doing Xanax, I'm black blacked out probably mm-hmm. then there's like a three-day window um where i don't know i don't know what happened uh mm-hmm. but i woke up one morning and we got on a flight uh flew to texas mm-hmm. um stayed the night in a hotel i got some dinner and the next day i was 30 days in rehab you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh, and that was something different i've never even been in texas yeah, <laughs> and show up like some not kid. under the circumstances probably that you wanted to go to Texas exactly. ever. Yeah, I mean some kid like from Pacific Northwest staring at all this flat shit around me. Yeah, it's windy as hell, and I'm fucking like, what the hell am I doing here? How the hell did I even get here? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's dry, it's hot, it's windy, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm still losing my mind. Like I'm slowly coming back, but I'm like mm-hmm. freaking out at nights. Like I'm seeing that that guy with the gun. Oh. in my dreams like mm-hmm. every like it's just wild right like my mm-hmm. i'm not I'm, I'm really not doing good now that i'm sober i'm really not doing good mm-hmm. and it was like a probably like a week or so from there where i'm just kind of like that you know mm-hmm. can you kind of detail the process of these these substances clearing your system like what's what is that like for the uninitiated because people might be like 
oh, I had a hangover after my 21st birthday. Mm-hmm. And my guess is I've never had a hangover either, so I can't really speak to that even. But it can't be pleasant coming off all that stuff. Coming off of it? Like yeah. getting off of it? Yeah, it's not nice. Like the last time you used through through that, you know, however long it took to detox. How long did it take to actually detox? Oh, wow. I mean, they say you're like, you know, your actual withdrawal symptoms might go away pretty, like, like in a week or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like you're, it's like a mental thing that you're trying to like get off of. I mean, it's on your mind. Mm-hmm. You can't think about anything else. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that you got that you can put in your body to make you feel something of a, like a drug is like cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Um, it was weird, man. Like it took a long time to feel kind of normal-ish. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a super hard withdrawal off Xanax because I've been doing Coke for so long, and Coke mm-hmm. doesn't have the same kind of like body aches and pain that maybe an opioid or alcohol or pills have. Mm-hmm. Um, but for an insight on how withdrawal off Xanax is, is gnarly, like body's on fire for a week. Um, mm. You feel like you're going to throw up. I mean, you. I don't. I don't even know how to necessarily describe it. Like you just. It's it's hell. Yeah, it sucks. I mm. mean, it's. I'm not gonna say it's the worst thing in the world, but it's like I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> I don't know, dude. Like, just even thinking about it's not fun. It's, yeah. It sucks. Uh, bad deal. So, yeah. So you ended up at the ranch, mm-hmm. and thank God you ended up there. Oh yeah, um, because um, I think I think that that was getting out and not going to like some cheesy counselor here, but like getting out out mm-hmm. to reset your mind somewhere else. Oh yeah, and to not be surrounded by the same people or anything like that here. I mean, I'm sure that's the reason people go to rehab in other places, but um, I think that for sure was definitely yeah. a big help. Well, I remember, I remember being like my third day in rehab, and sitting there and being like, "Oh, I can like three days. I'm con- like, I'm not gonna lie. When you're in rehab, those first few days, like you just want to leave. Mm-hmm. You're just thinking about it. And everybody that's there is kind of like, ah, you stick it out a few more days, a few more days, a few more days, and then pretty mm-hmm. soon you're like, oh, I'm still here. Yeah, but. I remember sitting there on like my third day in rehab thinking about leaving Mm -hmm. and I'm in bed at like, you know, at like lunch or something like that, feeling Mm -hmm. sorry for myself. Mm -hmm. I'm like, pretty sure I'm ready to go. I'm done. I've detoxed. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm just like, I'm, I'm not even like that. I'm just like, I'm done with this. I'm going to go get high again. Like Mm -hmm. that's where I was and sitting there and I'm like, wait a minute. I'm in Texas. I don't have a phone. I don't have any cash that I can get access to. I don't even have my wallet. Like, my mom dropped me off here. She's back in Washington already. Like, I'm stuck. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's, that's like, really why you want to do it in another place, because then you don't have a fucking option. Yeah. If you leave, you're on the street in the middle of fucking farmland. That's how you yeah. want to do it, where it's going to be too inconvenient to not stay. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm to get through those first like five days mm-hmm. 
so what were the, what was the structure like? Uh, what, was it, what was that structure like the first couple of days? Nothing much. I'd say the structure for the first thirty days is, or for those thirty days in rehab, is pretty similar every day. I mean, you wake somebody comes to wakes you up at like seven thirty, mm-hmm. like just like walks in the door, yells at you or something like that. When you're in a group of, you're in like a room, like three to six other guys my age. Mm-hmm. Debauchery happens for sure. It's <laughs> fun, but you're woken up super early. You go eat some breakfast. You come back. You know, you smoke a few cigarettes in between there and breakfast mm-hmm. oh there's like you just, just like you smoke and you eat breakfast and you take a shower and you go to classes mm-hmm. in the morning you do some like meditation a lot mm-hmm. of meditation which is part of um being in recovery it's mm-hmm. like one of the steps or whatever um and then you're learning about your disease you're learning about how to like get some version of a normal life and how you're gonna deal with this thing that doesn't really have you know a, a like a cure that you can just you know take this shot or take this pill or mm-hmm. you know there isn't that right. thing where it's just like oh it's in me now and i'm good you know what yeah. i mean there's it's all mental and it's all it's all inside and it's all on you like, mm. um mm-hmm. and learning how to deal with that and how to live that life is pretty tough yeah and not very many people get it I'd say the numbers are pretty fucking slim for who go to rehab and who come out are still sober. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I'd say in a whole group of people that go to rehab, from what I've heard, mm-hmm. out of 50 people, like one or two really? are going to stay sober. Like, the percentage of who's going to make it a year, uh-huh. tiny. Yeah. And that's just a year. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's not long. Mm-mm. When you think about the span of life that you have after rehab, yeah. And, you know, you got very small numbers that are coming out of that and actually staying. And do you think that's because they go back to families that are supporting them that are doing, like, enabled them? Or do they go back to the same friends? It, I mean, any number of things. I mean, I'm going to speak for myself, but mm-hmm. I can fuck things up on my own, mm-hmm. all by myself, no problem. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I don't have to have peer pressure to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that people get their 30 days mm-hmm. in a bubble, in a fake world, where you don't know what the fuck's going on for real. And you get all these, you know, sunshine, lollipops vibes mm-hmm. from everybody that's in there with you. Yeah. And it takes somebody that's been through that process and gone in there, relapsed, gotten out gone back gone back gone back like back and forth for the last forever to sit down and with you and be like look don't count on this life's gonna get shitty really fast as soon as you get out of here mm-hmm. some of these guys are gonna die that you're in here with right away there's some of these guys you're never gonna see again really so you you go i'm when i was in rehab i had somebody that told me that so i knew that life's gonna be different and all these people that are my best friends mm-hmm are not going to be my best friends. The people that have taught me the most here might not make it out of here alive soon. They might be dead soon. Really? You know what I mean? Like, there's guys that I know like that. There's yeah. guys that taught me to, or got me into reading the Bible when I was in rehab that are dead right now. Really? Like, that's how that's how real this thing is, right? Like, wow. 
people that are that committed for the first 30 days come out and life hits. Mm-hmm. And it, it's all different because it's not the real world. And I don't think people, and it's an all, and again, it's an internal disease. Like you got to do a lot of work mm-hmm. just to keep moving. You know what I mean? It's a simple process, but there is a lot of work involved because you got to be daily. honest and Hourly. daily and like you have to be diligent, which an, al- an alcoholic and an addict being honest is m- impossible when they're in their addiction to be a hundred percent honest or even something close to. 50% mm-hmm. honest in my opinion for me yeah my life was a lie you know mm-hmm. what I mean yeah that's I mean going back to what you said before essentially you were just it was just whatever was most convenient mm-hmm. to get you through to the next moment where you could okay. pop again mm-hmm. and then um, just doing that yeah and living that way for you know what'd you say like Probably eight years. No, uh, eight years. No. Yeah, eight years ish. Eight Six, years. Seven, eight years. Yeah, from when I was like twelve or thirteen, mm-hmm. finding every opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So, what were what were some of the the first big things you think that you learned at the ranch that really helped you out? Ah. Uh. I don't know if you could say like learned as much as just like a realization that I'm in a place with people that are like me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like a bit of an outsider for a lot of my life, mm-hmm. especially when I started doing Coke and pills and other stuff that were harder. Mm-hmm. Cause a, a lot of people I went to high school with were not, <laughs> were not cool with that. They were like, you're going to die. You know, mm-hmm. this, it's actually not, they were like, it's actually not that cool to do Coke quiet. And I was like, Oh, what are you talking about? Does it make sense to me? It's awesome. You know what huh. I mean? Like, yeah. F- felt like I was just on, like, on the outskirts, like, mm-hmm. you know, getting high mm-hmm. every day, and that's just life. And mm-hmm. you show up to a place where there's like fifty plus people who live that exact same lifestyle. Yeah. And life got too hard, and life got too shitty, and something bad happened. Mm-hmm. or magically I guess some people have internal like I'm not happy I need to go there mm-hmm. um, but they ended up in rehab together right mm-hmm. and all these people are very similar different mm-hmm. but similar you know what I mean mm-hmm. their stories and you feel like you make a family like that like you I've never felt like I'm more um, or in a room or a group with such people that I feel like understood me you know what I mean yeah because they understood the mental and the heart behind what was really going on yeah I mean a mental emotional spiritual physical like all that shit like they get it Mm -hmm. you know what I mean and that that means and that that scope is like 80 year old man drank whiskey since he was fucking born yeah you know 18 year old kid who's been banging heroin since he's 15 you know what Mm -hmm. I mean like just Across the board, you get anybody, and I have more had more intellectual or in more intellectual conversations, like deep intellectual conversations mm-hmm. with those people than I probably can say for anybody else anywhere. Like junkies and alcoholics and addicts, like all those that group, mm-hmm. pretty incredible people. Mm-hmm. Just like if 
they're getting high, watch your shit. You know what I mean? Like, that's just how it is. <laughs> if they're getting high, and that's, that's the truth, man. That's the truth. Because it's going to go down. You know, grimy people, dude. We're grimy people when in the right situation. Well, I mean, again, it it's almost so. And this is kind of what I've thought for a while. Um, you walk into like Total Wine. Okay. You got wine, you got beer, okay. and then you have spirits. Fair enough. Why do we call them spirits? Make you see the spirit world, brother. It's a whole different thing that gets into people, and I don't know if it. I don't know if it. Uh, if it makes people more apt to like possession of some sort, mm. but I'm definitely. I mean, obviously, <laughs> as a Christian, as someone who reads the Bible, you understand that there's a whole other world that we can't see here, mm-hmm. and you know we don't strive against flesh and blood. We strive against powers and principalities mm-hmm. of other, you know, other worlds, essentially. Satan and his minions. So, um, at least from what I'm seeing, people and their addictions, it opens them up to an entirely different realm than what sober people see most of the time. And whether they're, you know, because as you were saying, you were just sitting there smoking weed with your friend. And then all of a sudden you said, let's do coke. Yeah. And it was just like, you don't know where the thought came from. Mm-hmm. You don't know what happened. But it, that was that little that little suggestion. And your inhibitions were already down because you were smoking the devil's lettuce, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, inhibitions were down. Nobody wanted to say no. Nobody wanted to check that. It was just me and another guy. And you're off to the races. Yeah. You got it in 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It's those kind of things that I think if more people understood that kind of background, they would understand where people are coming from with this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? And so also, there's... Mm-hmm. With, with addiction, though, like... Um, the mental of, like obsession part of it is wild because... Mm-hmm. Um, I've tried tried quitting lots of times on my own, mm-hmm. and I don't. I could never make it more than a day, mm-hmm. maybe two. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that that's trying. When at the like the worst of my addiction, I couldn't I couldn't do it on my own mm-hmm. at all. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that that thing where you like your brain and you want to do something and like you just can't do it mm-hmm. is like I don't know if humiliating is like the right word, but you just feel like complete fucking failure. You know what I mean? Shame. Yeah. You feel shame. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because there's a there's and this is something that I've been studying lately. Um, you're given a conscience, and you're given a conscience that says this is not right, mm-hmm. and that conscience shows you right and wrong. Mm-hmm. You know when you're doing it, it's wrong. But you have to suppress it. Yeah. And what happens is you suppress it. You, I, I'm saying you, what I mean is everybody. No, yeah. Okay? I got you. So for somebody in my position, it could be, eh, I'll just let the book slip. 
I'll just I'll just commit a little bit of fraud. Mm-hmm. Because what's a little bit of fraud now? And then tomorrow I'm stealing money from this company or that company because they're not going to miss it. Mm-hmm. Right? They make a couple million dollars a year. Yeah. I'm just going to take a thousand. Mm-hmm. What's the matter? Still. Right? It's still theft. Mm-hmm. But you have to go through that. You know what's wrong. And you have to go through that process of what's called searing your conscience. Mm-hmm. Right? Like applying a hot iron to your conscience and just burning away everything that's telling you to stop. Um, and that is that is so that people don't have an excuse. Mm-hmm. Right? So people don't have an excuse when they go to God and God says, you know, well, let's look over your life, bud. Yeah. And then they're like, well, you didn't. And God was like, I gave you that conscience. Mm-hmm. I gave you all of that to point you in the right direction. And what did you do? Yeah. Well, and another thing with addiction is like once that's, once that like beast is like awoken, like my brain's not right anymore. No. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, it's altered like i wouldn't even know if it's even a choice at that point mm-hmm. you know um in my eyes this is just me mm-hmm. you know um i feel like I'm, i do feel sorry for the guy who is an addict and doesn't know any different because i feel like there's a lot of people a lot of those people out there they mm-hmm. don't know any different right yeah um i didn't even know what alcoholics anonymous was about until i went to rehab you really know I mean? like i didn't really know i didn't, uh. never really thought about it yeah. And I, li- I have a family with lots of alcoholics in it. Yeah. Fucking never, no clue. All right. No. Which is sad. Yeah. But that shows like those, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people in my family know what Alcoholics Anonymous is about, but mm-hmm. um, <laughs> lost my train of thought there for a second. Well, the, the point is addicts don't know yeah. where they're at or mm-hmm. they can't reckon with the fact that it's too far gone. Yeah. Again, because what have they done? Time after time after time after time after time, mm-hmm. they continually sear that conscience that keeps telling them no. Yeah. And at some point, it gets seared to the point where it's like, oh, mm-hmm. whatever, man, if I die, I die. Yeah. Screw the consequences. I'm just going to go get high. Right. Well, and there's a weird switch in your brain, too. Um, I mean, it'll put like an alcoholic or an addict's brain will put you know, substance or drug, alcohol, whatever form it is, mm-hmm. over like food, sleep, everything. Everything. Like it, like it actually rewires your brain mm-hmm. and like the fight or flight instinct and all that shit just changes. Mm-hmm. Like it's alter <laughs> like it's actually insane. I don't know how that happens. But it does. Yeah. And that's kinda like the scary part. Because oh, it's, yeah. it's not really your brain anymore. It's your brain altered. <laughs> mhm. Exactly. You know? And that's that's you know that's what I'm getting to, with the the conscience mm-hmm. and having it seared, yep. um, and suppressed, right? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> we can do things to suppress the conscience for a short period of time, but it's always going to come back. Yeah, at some point, it's always going to come back. Um. So you were, you were at the ranch for about thirty days, mm-hmm. and then and then you came back. No, and then I did sober living freaking ridiculous but okay yeah yeah it's actually insane to me i like, smoked pot forever until the actual year it's gonna be 420 all fucking month long yeah and, like in the real world ish but you're in a house mm-hmm. with 
I was there from, I was there with, at one point, like 20 other dudes between wow. like two houses mm-hmm. and, you know, like three dudes, two room and mm-hmm. you have to get a job after your first two weeks there, you get a job and mm-hmm. you kind of start to get some responsibilities, you mm-hmm. get some like a little bit of freedom. You're getting piss tested twice a week. Mm-hmm. Sober living. Got to keep everybody sober and make sure. Right. Um, but you're like, heck, you got your wallet in your pocket. Um, mm-hmm. Starting to feel like a human again. Right. You go to the store and buy your own darts now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Your own cigarettes. And uh, you just hang out. You know what I mean? You're playing video games in there or watching movies or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's how my first like two or three probably like my first two, two and a half weeks there were, then I got a job pretty quickly mm-hmm. started getting some freedoms and then COVID. <laughs> yeah. And then it was sober living was just kind of like video games and hanging out with bros mm-hmm. all day long, every day. Yeah. That's, you can't go anywhere. You're in the house. Like your only move was to go to the nine plus 10, <laughs> maybe 10 hours a cot a day. Yeah. And like three or four movies every day. And it's like, yeah. And you do meetings, and we do our like AA meetings in the house, mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of what my time in Texas was after yeah. the first month and a half. Yeah. Do you ever, and I, do you ever want to go back to Texas? Not to the place necessarily, but do you ever want to go back? Yeah, I want to go back. Or you, anyway. or you like, man, frick Texas! I'll go to Oklahoma or Arkansas. Or <laughs> uh. I am like kind of like fuck Texas just because it's a little bit flat, but. <laughs> um, no, I, I a lot of those people that I met down there, mm-hmm. um, I'm still in contact with some of them. Mm-hmm. Good people. I mean, they know me better than s- people in my family might even know me. You know right. I mean? Like, they understand me to a core. There's like a um, there's a thing in AA or recovery or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just a level of like. They understand what I'm going through. I understand what they're going through. I can say whatever I want to to them, Mm -hmm. and they'll get it. Mm -hmm. Like, if I told you, you knowing my history, Mm -hmm. I want to get high right now, what would you do? That's a scary scary thought to me. You have no idea what to say. You don't really know what to do, right? Right. Necessarily, like, what's the best thing to do? First, I'd kind of be like, uh, I'd freeze. Right. Mm -hmm. Normal. Go to an AA meeting. Mm-hmm. And some dude's gonna be like, "Man, fuck this day, fuck this shit. I'm either gonna get high or I'm gonna commit suicide. That's where I'm at right now." And then somebody's gonna laugh. Everybody's <laughs> gonna laugh. Really? Like, oh, it's Tuesday. Oh my. G- that's normal, dude. Like, because that's how it is as junkie man. That's how you feel. Those are your feelings for real. Like, oh, I, I, get, I get, I understand that the, that's the feeling, but to me. If yeah. somebody said, I'm either going to get high or I'm going to go jump off a bridge, I would, I literally, I've never experienced that in my life. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't know what to. Yeah. Or like, here's another one, you know, like guys coming in. A is like their fucking millionth time doing this rehab thing and detox and going to get clean again or whatever. And they're like, uh, if it doesn't work out this time. Like, that's it. Like, I'm not doing this again. I've been doing this for 13, 14 years. It's my last chance. 
Otherwise, it's over for me because I'm going to do it myself. You know what I mean? Like, wow. that whole, like, thing is mm-hmm. real real. And that's... Oh, yeah. That's, like, your bottom moment. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. when they finally decide, like, enough is enough is enough. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's, like, being an A, being around those people. Mm-hmm. Them understanding what, like, I'm going through. Them under- I understand what they're going through. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The fact that I can walk in there and be like, hey... I'm going to get high right now if you don't talk to me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, or I have, I have an eight ball in my pocket, mm-hmm. but I'm calling you because it's been a year and I don't want to fuck it up. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, those are the kinds of conversations that, that the, they're going to be able to have. Right. Like that's an, that's an alcoholic and an addict, like figuring out sobriety is like those moments right there. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I've had those moments where, I'm going to get high right now if I don't, Mm -hmm. if you don't tell me what to do, (laughs) I'm going to get high right now and I don't know what to do about it, Mm -hmm. you know? So that's the kind of crazy shit that Mm -hmm. goes on in this like lifestyle. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? It's like, even when we're done with drugs, like we're still fucking insane. You know what I mean? Like after all the bullshit I've been through, sometimes I want to get high and that's just back to life. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter how much time I have. I'm at risk. You know what I mean? Like right. My, <laughs> at all times, doesn't matter mm-hmm. how much time I got. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, going forward from recovery, mm-hmm. you're never out of recovery. Correct. What does it look like? Like, so you come back, obviously, from the ranch. Um, you're out of sober living. And now you're back hanging out. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you've got a job um, working at that. Um, what is, I don't want to say what is the plan because that seems like really definite. But I'm, I'm, I guess I'm asking what's it, what's it looking like every day going forward knowing that you're in recovery? You know, I used to think it was kind of like bleak, you know, like this is going to be kind of a dull life or mm-hmm. this is going to be like waking up every day and being like, oh, don't, don't snort, coke, don't, don't snort coke today. Don't snort coke today. Don't snort coke today. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like that's, the, but that's not really what this is about. Like um, being in recovery, being in AA or NA or CA or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, A you're in. Yeah. It's, that's not what it's about. It's like waking up and feeling like, oh, poor me or. Mm-hmm this is going to be so hard or this is going to be so shitty or my life sucks. And mm-hmm. like, it's, that's not what it's about. Like you get, I, I want to call them like gifts, even like <laughs> they're not gifts. They're just like enlightenment that comes to you from doing the work required to stay sober. You know, like admitting mm-hmm. that I am powerless <laughs> over drugs and alcohol is a big thing for me. Mm-hmm. I can't do it alone. You know what I mean? I got to have mm-hmm. somebody else help me. You gotta have other people help me, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And in turn, like, me helping somebody else Mm -hmm. figure out how to stay sober, Mm -hmm. it's kind of the stuff that keeps me sober, too. Like, it's just a whole, a whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But, like, what it looks like is, typically, you go to meetings, and you meet some people, and you meet some new friends, and you do some stuff outside of AA. Mm Mm-hmm. And generally, your life gets better. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. 
I feel like my life's gotten a lot easier. You know what I mean? Mm. I'm in bed by 8.30 every night. Yeah. I'm sleeping usually by 9. You know what I mean? It's nice. Yeah. I get lots of sleep. Works easy. Mm-hmm. Not, I wake up with plenty of time in the morning refreshed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But there's also like the whole, well, on my Friday nights, always have always been, I get fucked up, right? So mm-hmm. now it's like I'm trying to like fill like rearrange my life you know people say you quit maturing when your addiction starts Mm. so right now i'm 13 all right yeah 13 years old trying to figure out what do i like in life you know what i mean and that's kind of what it's about i mean it's like normal people shit just like figuring out what why do you go to work adam you know what i mean yeah do you like having guns or you like to have podcasts you like to have money in the bank you kind of bennies yeah. It's all about the Benjamins. There you go. You know what I mean? <laughs> but deeper than the money, like, what's going to bring you joy in life? You know right. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there's, like, this whole spiritual awakening. They call it, like, a burning bush moment. It's not really a burning bush moment, but it's... Right. Very few people get to actually see a burning bush. <laughs> right. But it's a realization, like, over time, like, life's going to get better and life is better. And mm-hmm. it grows into, I wouldn't get high... No matter what, like you, you couldn't, you know, whatever happens. Like yeah. if I broke my leg today, mm-hmm. right, and I go to the hospital, I don't want drugs. This is for <laughs> me and you. Here, yeah. If I ever break my leg around you, I don't want them to give me anything at the hospital. Yeah. Because it's, it's too risky, man. Like I'll take pain oh, yeah. for however long that thing takes to heal. Mm-hmm. Just because I feel like if I eat one of them oxys, mm-hmm. I'm probably not, not going to stop. Yeah. It might set you back. For eight to nine months, or I might not stop ever because I might die. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like that's just not worth it. Yeah. And when you when you put things when you put things like that, mm-hmm. right? That's when you know this is real, mm-hmm. and this is real life. And you know, you almost you almost get like a. I don't know if these are the right words, but I'm going to say them anyway because it's dangerous. Go for it. And I'm about dangerous things. Go for it, boss. I would kill before I go back. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that kind I of thing. I would end I would I would physically end where I'm at or who I'm with if that became um something that was potentially going to come at me mm-hmm. and something I might be weak to. Um, and not, you know, not to say anything that I've done is anything like what you go through mm-hmm. ever. Um, but I have removed myself from situations, um, with friends or they're like, Hey man, we're gonna go do blah. or We're going to go look at blah. And I'm like, yeah, go ahead and have fun with that. But I'm not going there. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be okay with that. And to me, it's, I experience shame. Like shame is the worst feeling I've ever felt in my life. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, I know I can't go back. I know I can't go seeking after things that would make me feel shame in any way. Because to me, shame is the, the worst emotion. Yeah. More than being sad even. I would be sad I would be sad for a week before I felt shame, like real abiding shame for an hour. 
mm-hmm. you know. So, um, with that, I, I that may not have they that may not translate at all. No, it does. I get but it. you know, I I would I would assume that people who have been through like addiction, people who have been to rehab and then come out the other side cleaned up. Yeah. Even if it's only for one day and then they start working the plan, they wouldn't want to go back to that shame that they felt. Yeah. But it's, it's, you know, it's the same thing. You wake in that beast again. You know what I mean? The tough part mm-hmm. is about this is like, um, addict goes into rehab, comes out, tries to live new life. Shit doesn't work. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Relapse. It's supposedly much harder each time you come back to it to go back. You have mm-hmm. you dig yourself just a little bit deeper each time, right? Mm-hmm. It's a little bit harder to like move forward because you've done this before. Mm-hmm. You've tried and failed, tried and failed, tried. And, you didn't try for real, but you tried and failed in your own mind. That, mm-hmm. That's a mental thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You already feel like a fucking failure. You got nothing. You're in rehab. Mm-hmm big drug problem maybe some drug you know charges whatever Mm -hmm. each time you go back it gets a little bit worse a little bit worse a little bit worse so yes like each time like maybe you relapse and that's part of your story or whatever but like just you know remember Mm -hmm. (laughs) shit's shit's gonna get better at some point you just gotta keep working at it you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and feeling hopeless is like a real deal especially for people that are reaching the bottom where mm-hmm. life's getting hard that kind of stuff you yeah know what i mean all right i gotta take another leak oh. i'm sorry okay we're back now uh so i guess i guess a couple um a couple quick uh thoughts from you Kind of, there's more questions. Um, do you have any words of wisdom for people who are currently experiencing addiction that they can't break? Um, I mean, if you feel like you got a problem, you got a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just kind of like how simple it is. Uh, yeah. And go find an AA meeting. Doesn't matter where. Honestly, I don't even like. I I think rehab is great. And I think mm-hmm. some people need it. I think some people don't. I know people with a lot of sobriety that have come from both where they went to rehab and where they didn't. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that detox thing is real. Mm-hmm. Um, and withdrawal is real. But uh, really where that r- real recovery or real work starts is in the real world. Um, mm-hmm. If you need that 30-day bubble because that's all you know to do, then go do it. But if you really just want to get to work and figure out how to stay sober, just go find an AA meeting mm-hmm. somewhere. Walk in and say hi to somebody. If mm-hmm. somebody doesn't say hi to you, mm-hmm. you know, just like reach out. There's people out there that are willing to help you for sure. Mm-hmm. What would you say to the families of people who are in a self-destructive lifestyle or addiction? Do you have any, do you have any, uh, recommendations for people that would have been like us prior to knowing that you did anything yeah I mean um, 
it's tough because I mean, if you have like a, a suspicion that something's going on, you know, like, Hey, I've been worried about you. I feel like there's, you know, say whatever your signs are. How you doing? You know, mm-hmm. that's kind of what you can say. And if they're going to say nothing, mm-hmm. I got like, and nothing's going on, then <laughs> you're out of luck. Like that's kind of it. Okay. I wouldn't, if you're, if you have active people or people in active addiction, addiction, right? So if you know they're getting high right now, mm-hmm. you know, they have a problem with alcohol and drugs. It's, mm-hmm apparent and they're around you get them the fuck away from you like you you don't want to be an enabler like yeah. i was enabled for a long time in my life right okay um i was enabled in a relationship right when shit got the worst mm-hmm. um if like if i if i would have stayed in that relationship say i never moved out with my friend right mm-hmm. i might still be getting high today mm-hmm. you might not know you might we probably know now if something bad would have happened by Maybe, this point yeah. but um, people in active addiction, you kind of got to count them as gone. Mm-hmm. Like, until they're willing to get help, mm-hmm. you can't do anything for them. Like, when I told you, you couldn't have done anything for me. Yeah. It's because you couldn't have. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just how it is. Like, I had to be, I had to get robbed. I had to, um, you know, have nothing. I had mm-hmm. to <laughs> lose my mind a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I had to be high to come mm-hmm. clean about what I was doing to get help after shit got shitty enough. You know what I mean? Right. A month before that, I would have denied to you. Yeah. And to anybody. Yeah. I've never, I, what is Coke is what I, <laughs> you know, whatever bullshit I would have come up with. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a moment where shit turns around, mm-hmm. you know, and you got, and as a person that's like, know somebody or is with somebody or like love somebody that's mm-hmm. fucked up. You gotta just let them get fucked up until they're ready to be done, and that might mm. and that day that where they decide that they're done might never come. Mm. But you don't want to remember that person as being the guy with the needle in his arm or the coke problem or the likes to smoke weed too much, but he's a dick or an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be around that person. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You're not doing them any favors okay. by, you know ignoring a problem or letting them live at your house or giving them food or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just don't give them money. You know what I mean? You don't give them money. Whatever you do, that's the worst thing you can do. Yeah. You cut off. You know what I mean? You cut them off your life. Okay. You know, if they ask for help, that's different. But Right. Yeah. If they are done with the lifestyle, mm-hmm. then you can help them. Yeah. But up until they're ready to be done, don't enable that. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the best way to support people who are recovering from uh, y- in your experience and potentially in the experience of people who you have met? Um, I've heard lots of different things. Um, so when I was at my mom's house after I came back from Texas mm-hmm. being in rehab, um, I asked her to drug test me randomly mm-hmm. just to keep me accountable. And also... I felt like if I relapsed, I wouldn't say anything Mm. and that, um, you know, I'd go back to like being scheming for things Mm -hmm. and lying and just same old bullshit I was already doing. Right. Um, and that that was going to like ruin the relationship that was bad before, but got fixed because I wanted to get help from drugs. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. that's, that's the only reason why I have 
a good connection with my mom now. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to make sure that even if I relapsed, she would be able to, um, one, know about it, mm-hmm. and two, be like, all right, Wyatt, like, you're getting clean or you're getting fucked up. Because mm-hmm. if you're getting fucked up, time to move on. Mm-hmm. And if you're getting clean, like, how are you going to do it? Like, what's the plan? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, do I need to find a detox for you? Do you need to be drove to a meeting? Do you need to be kicked out right now so you're homeless and have to figure that out? Mm-hmm. You know, like, that's what I wanted for, for that. But um, support from an addict needs to be, like, Um, it's kind of tough because r- really the support from your family is just to, you know, love them. Like when they're sober, love them for who they are. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't help me stay sober. You know, I, I keep myself sober. Um, as mad as you want it for me, mm-hmm. it's not going to do it. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. like as much as you like, say you were to cry and I was to steal all your money and you were to send me to jail, like, <laughs> whatever yeah like and you want me to be sober so bad you send me to prison get me like locked up for a year mm-hmm. and i come out and you're like oh that should have been enough and because you wanted it so bad for me it's mm-hmm. not gonna be enough like yeah whatever you know mm-hmm. so just love them for who they are and you don't have anything to do with my recovery as far as like you know you asking me how's it going today mm-hmm. how are you feeling Mm-hmm. Are you, are you thinking about getting high, Wyatt? Yeah, like that kind of shit doesn't help. But you know, okay, just being my cousin mm-hmm. or my brother or my dad or whoever you are to this addict, mm-hmm. just be that role. You know what I mean? They'll mm-hmm. ask you for help if they need help from yeah. you. And I don't tell my mom when I need help. Like when I'm, if I'm feeling like I'm gonna get high today, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna call my mom. Not gonna call my dad. Not gonna mm-hmm. call my stepmom. Not gonna call. Yeah. sister cousin brother whatever whatever mm-hmm. whatever i'm gonna call the guy with more time than me sober mm-hmm. more experience than me sober and is willing to say wyatt you're a fucking retard make sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> that you don't do that mm-hmm. and here thanks for calling you know what i mean yeah here's what you need to do yeah because he's gonna know what to do for yeah because he's got more time mm-hmm. or he knows you he knows that side better than right. the rest of us would. Well, and he also knows that feeling of, I want to get high right now, and I really don't want to get high. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, he knows what that's like. Yeah. So. The dichotomy of, I want it, but I don't. Yeah. But I want it, but I don't. Mm-hmm. But I really want it. Right. But I kind of don't. Well, and it's tough, too, because, like, if I could get high in the shitty part of it with all the bad things and the horrible things that are going to come up getting high, if I could have that without this, I would. That's the sad thing, right? Yeah, but, but I think most people would. Yeah, most I'm, people would for sure. You know mm-hmm. that? What? What? I don't know. I don't even know how long a high lasts. Like, like the good part of a high lasts. I don't know if it's like it's like five minutes. If it's like ten minutes. Depends. Whatever, whatever that is. It, everybody wants to be there, right? Right. Which is why people are like adrenaline junkies mm-hmm. or whatever, because they seek that momentary. Oh yeah. Nirvana, for lack of a better term, and then all of a sudden. Now you got to deal with the consequences. Mm-hmm. Yep. The consequences ruin it. it sucks. It. <laughs> the consequences outweigh the benefits. Because mm-hmm. that stuff definitely works, man. Like, if you don't want to feel nothing and you want to feel whole and complete when you've never felt whole and complete, mm-hmm. that shit works. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
But you feel even more empty when it's when it's done. Well, not even when it's done. Like after it set its course a little bit and it's got and it's when it's it's in your bones. Yeah. Then you feel pretty fucking hollow <laughs> and empty. <laughs> and then and then it's over. Yeah. A little That's small. it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think is there anything else you wanna you wanna tell the people? No, I think that's it. That's it. Good. Yeah, it's been a long, been a long show. Yeah, very long show. It's like nine o'clock right now. Isn't it? it is. It is. Very, it is nine o'clock. Um, but I think this has been good. I think I think people hopefully got a lot out of it. Learned a little bit. Um, and I think I think um, if anybody is either actively struggling or uh, know somebody who is, um, point them here. Because guess what? We just covered it. It's never going to fill that hollow void that you got. That that little God-shaped hole is not going to be filled with the nose candy. <laughs> the booga sugar. Yep. It, it doesn't do it. Um, so, yeah. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for talking about this. Thanks for having me. Um, this is... I think a very important topic definitely that a lot of people um, need to reckon with, need to reckon with, understand that it is, it is, it's a national crisis. Mm -hmm. I mean, people in third world countries are worried about, you know, am I going to get food today? And they're also still getting high. Oh yeah. They're also finding a way to get high. This is a worldwide event and you can find it just, you can find AAA meetings anywhere worldwide, by the way, just want to point that out there for the crowd. No excuses. It's a worldwide phenomenon that you can access anywhere, anytime. From your computer, too. Just saying. Yeah. So you have no excuse for the quarantines. Facts. Facts. Cool. Thanks for coming on. Everybody else, we're going to catch you in the next one.